3: back to horror queers. We're talking indigenous stereotypes, we're talking predatory old men, and we're talking
2: subpar optimal work. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking triple amputee weird HR Geiger monster things. You rang? That's my name. (laughs) We're talking poltergeist to the other side, everybody. And let me tell you, the other side is not a place I want to go because that looked like shit. Yeah,
3: it's probably wise of them that they only spent a hot five minutes there in that climax. Well,
2: we'll get into this further down the road, but apparently that climax was much, much longer <laughs> before they released it. Like 40 minutes, maybe? About 40 minutes longer.
3: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh. sighs> Okay, well, that's it. That's all I've got.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. (laughs) Well, I know know this is going to take a longer time, because it's four of us. Um, So, yes, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone in between, we have two very special guests on this podcast. We didn't get to talk to them at Fantastic Fest last year, because we we had three other guests. You may know them as the directors of the recent queer horror documentary, Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Please welcome Tyler Jensen and Roman Kimienti. Hello. Hello. Hi,
4: everyone. (laughs) <laughs> so you boys come as a package deal, eh?
1: We're conjoined twins by now.
4: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Actually, it's awesome to actually talk to you guys here because I feel like we've been we've we've done so much together already. So I feel like I.
2: had... Been in touch with Tyler maybe a little bit when I was like, because I wrote a, I think when the Kickstarter came out, I wrote an article for Bloody about like trying to get people to do it. So I think that Tyler and I have become social media friends.
1: Yes. I think, I think you were the first person I told that we got into Fantastic Fest. Gotcha. Oh shit, we should do something.
2: Yes, mm. and and then we all, of course, all went out after the big premiere night, which was super fun. <laughs> that was a lot of fun, actually. It, it was, was the best of night
1: drinking. of my <laughs> life, and I don't think I've ever recovered from it.
2: You make it sound so salacious. <laughs> it wasn't the world premiere, right? Where did your world premiere go? Well, it, no, technically it was, it was the it was. premiere. Yeah.
4: Uh, okay. yeah, and I have I have never seen Tyler that jolly <laughs> in my life. I was at I I was at I love you
1: man stage of the night. I was just I was floating. It was yeah. incredible.
2: No wait, yeah. Roman, are you saying that you're the jolly one in this relationship? <laughs> <laughs> because you, you I think he's saying Tyler
4: is the surly one.
2: No, no. I mean
4: No,
1: I'm I'm generally the the nice one, but I was just yeah. like Yeah. I am, I am
4: the Wednesday Adams to, the, to that Pugly, Pugsley for sure. I was going to
2: say, <laughs> no, I, th- I think I commented like back on that night of drinks when I was obviously very inebriated. And I was like, you always look so stoic and kind of angry in some of your pictures.
4: Oh, totally. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's just it's my eyebrows.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it is. No, you have the Angel- you may be Wednesday Adams, but you've got the win- the more uh, fuck, the Angelica Houston eyebrows. Morticia, oh, sure.
4: but see with <laughs> tyler he's like the good time guy and that i was like i've never seen him like beyond he was right. like i'm on, like uncle fester nine. let's be
1: real you put <laughs> yeah. a light bulb on me and we're lit
4: yeah but i mean you have to understand when we're especially for that show in particular i'm constantly looking for what can go wrong and we had <laughs> you know you're, well oh, but God, you're yeah. you're putting on a show. There's tech things to watch out for. There's like events we're coordinating. There's actors to wrangle. There everything. So mm-hmm. oh, you know, we had a we had a caravan. We like rented out a house. There was ten of us all
1: sharing rooms <laughs> together. This was it was a big deal, and it was the first time we were showing it to a horror crowd. So tensions were
3: high. I still can't believe you guys didn't manage to sell the rights to that weekend to Netflix for like some kind of gay reality TV show. Oh, my God.
1: No one would watch that. Oh, my God. I have stories. I will never tell you.
3: (laughs) Why do you think
2: we brought you on?
4: well right right let, let's talk about ghosts and then we'll talk about like what's in our closet so. <laughs>
2: that could be a special patreon incentive um, oh my no. god
4: yes we'll come
1: back i have a microphone now i'll talk all day long
2: <laughs> your 25 five dollar microphone yeah it's an investment so, okay. So the movie has come out recently, though. So how, how now that it's officially out and getting distribution, I mean, I know y'all are probably still working on international markets, because people mm-hmm. are like, where the fuck is my movie? <laughs> yeah. I, ha, ha, it's like it's... you're in my head. <laughs> well, as a Canadian, I feel that. Because <laughs> I'm yeah. apparently in one of those international markets. Well, you know, if you donated $25 to the Kickstarter, you'd have the digital code that takes you to a website that lets you watch the movie. <laughs> Man, I got a screener. <laughs>
3: I mean, oh, I love really? you guys. I support what? you. <laughs> yeah. No, I actually saw you guys when you were in Toronto before, like, well before Fantastic
2: Fest. Right. That was yeah. in May. I had
1: a I had a freak accident while I was in Toronto. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's sounds right. oh, And I forgot, actually, because I'm just, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we had the narrator of the film, Cecil Baldwin, on our episode two discussing vamp. He is fantastic. I love him. Oh,
4: I sent him the soundtrack to Vamp as a mood lifter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait. So are you the one that introduced it to him? Because he- he No. he, he, He asked me if I wanted to go out to a slumber party watching Vamp at his house, but I couldn't. I was actually going to a sleep clinic that night. Um, <laughs> oh, how very,
3: how very Nancy of you! It was very for, much, yeah. it was
4: on the anniversary of Dream Warriors, but we are still working on international distribution. It's it's a lot. Like people think it's like, oh, you just make a deal, but there's like a hundred deals out there you have to make. You know,
1: right? We we've sold it to Australia, and I do believe we have Canadian rights taken, but no no details yet. Right? Yeah. yeah.
2: And you may, by the time this episode actually drops. Yeah. Um, and yeah, sorry, listeners, heads up. We are recording this quite a bit in advance. We are recording this about a month in advance.
1: Day 47 of the COVID-19 <laughs> quarantine.
2: <laughs> I mean, we don't have to spend a lot. So, hey, okay, so first, um, so are, are y'all fine? Do y'all feel like y'all are, like, over the peak of the hill of the release of this film? Are y'all, like, going downhill now? Like, you're, you're kind of, like, cascading? Or is it, like, you're still, like, ugh, still so much work to do? Like, which ski analogy are you? see oh,
4: I think at this at this point we're at the top.
2: What? You're a top. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, we we're fine now. Online, I feel like he's a top. We still have a lot to do. Uh, but it's not like it was before. We have other people doing a lot of the legwork for us. So we're able to sit back and I can actually like respond to people's comments online. Oh, you wow. know, okay. I, I
1: definitely had a good cry last week when the DVD came out. It de- <laughs> it, I'm the emotional one. I don't know if yeah. you can tell. But um, after five years of putting this shit together and going through festivals for a year and it finally being out into the public and kind of getting – a bunch of comments through our Instagram, through our Facebook of people like really loving it and not expecting that kind of story that, mm-hmm. than what we gave them. Um, it finally it hit and it was like, oh, wow, we did this. We made something out of nothing. It is in the world and no one can take that away from us. So it, it was a very like cathartic, happy cry.
2: But what were um, your thoughts, though, on that Variety review? Oh, my God. Trace. Oh, <laughs> it was it was. It was really like the outlier. I,
1: I No, he was. Absolutely. That person's a fucking idiot. I had internalized a lot of some of those points. Like, you know, being a first-time filmmaker, you see everything that you did wrong that you can't fix. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can see where his he's coming from at some of these points. But for most of it, it just seemed like he hadn't seen Never Sleep Again and wanted more of those stories in our film? and I'm He like, wanted guys, a
3: different movie than what you guys were delivering, but as as Trace has gently reminded me on this podcast so, so many times, <laughs> that is not your problem, that's his motherfucking problem.
2: Well, it, yeah. it 100% is, but it's actually kind of timely though, because I mean, it was like six weeks ago, we covered The Ranger and how um, uh, I, I discussed about how I had an issue with a producer who took issue with my negative view of the film, and even when my review came out for Scream Queen, Tyler, you even told me, you were like, oh, you're, you're like the, the first person to really give us like like a heart, not a harsh, but like a critique, where I a, actually said something negative legitimate
1: about the film. Critique, for sure.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I was like, sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, I no, I didn't take it seriously at all. It, no, like, yeah, but... I can I can see where that comes in. Well, no one should take Trace seriously. That's the lesson. <laughs> yeah, I, no, no, I mean, no, because I'm too mean in my reviews. Apparently, um, that wasn't a dig at you, by the way. But no, but I mean, that's the thing, though. It's like I think in the community we live in, you know, such, a, especially at festivals, like in the festival atmosphere of the community there's such a close proximity of filmmakers with journalists and Mm -hmm. i think that sometimes you know it i mean like i'm trying to think like if i close enough with someone where i'm like oh, i wouldn't review one of their film because there's too much of a personal bias there but i mean like if that was the case like if i had a friend that said you want to review my film i'd be like nope not at all (laughs) right because if i hate it i'm gonna tell you and that
1: that is i value that it's like i can't grow as a filmmaker unless i get those critiques if everyone is blowing smoke up your ass, you're like, Well, I'm great, so I guess I'm gonna go make once upon a time in Hollywood right now because no one can tell me no.
4: <laughs> it didn't bother me at all. And and I'm very bothered by I can't read anything online. I just don't mm. like to. I I I've been the first one to critique our work. From the get go. I mean I think that
2: makes sense though. I mean I think you you're you're your own harshest critic.
4: Yeah, and I and I'm extremely I'm sh- extremely analytical about this. I'm not like blowing smoke up my own ass. Mm-hmm. But when I I did read that <laughs> But you are and that act- flexible. I've seen it. He, thank you. <laughs> um but it, it didn't it didn't bother me at all because I'm like this this is so off the wall? Like this doesn't even he what was he watching? Like I'm okay if he had... There are certain things that are on my list that he, had he said them, I would have, like, oh, shrugged, shrugged and felt right, terrible. Like,
3: oh, shit, that actually connects with what I was already thinking. But his review is so out of the realm.
4: This guy was, like, jilted by somebody here. <laughs> like, that's what oh, this is. Oh, absolutely.
2: I mean, his review was basically, like, yeah... I I thought I was watching a movie about Nightmare on Elm Street 2, but it's just about this gay guy. And it's like... (laughs) 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 It honestly seems like he didn't like Mark Patton, and he takes it out on him in that review. Well, he's like, he makes it all about him, and I'm like, but the documentary is about... Him, like it's my nightmare. It's his nightmare.
4: (laughs) But we haven't even been that. That's not even a reveal. Like that's known. No. So (laughs) you know what I mean. Trailer. It's the thesis of the film. (laughs) Yeah, and it's widely known. So I just that's why like I read it and I shrugged. I'm like, eh, whatever. Like this is the kind of hateful thing that I don't mind being out there because it actually does us more good. Oh, I think so
3: too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think ultimately, I think at the end of the day, really, what you should be prioritizing is the kind of, I hesitate to say layman or every man, but really the messages that you're hopefully receiving from viewers from around the globe who are saying, you know what? Like, I I love that you guys posted that one video of somebody watching the film and having like a good cathartic cry. Oh, my God. No, that guy it's like, okay, that's why you make art, right? Because you're trying to
2: get some kind of reaction from people. You're trying to change the way that they think. That's my thing too, is I think, I mean, obviously, this is, it's a great movie for queer audiences. It's wonderful. And like, I, especially, I think, for younger viewers who maybe don't understand just how bad the AIDS crisis was in the 80s. Yeah. Yep. But it's yep. really also connecting with a lot of non-queer viewers, which I think is mm-hmm. th- the key there. It's very important. I love me some queer art, but so much of it is niche and that it really only does appeal to queer audiences most of the time. Yeah. And I think that the wide net that this film casts is actually what, what is going to make it – I mean, well, what makes it so special? That's mm-hmm.
4: what I'm really, really proud of, so and that and and like you said, having like listening to that feedback we're getting now is what's going to carry me once this gets released in a platform soon where mm-hmm. a wider audience will see it, and then the homophobe comments will come out, oh, like, I, I know yeah. that's coming,
3: and oh 100%. that's fine, and that's when you exercise the block and the mute button
4: right, just judiciously. <laughs> the most frustrating thing
1: of this whole experience is that we have this like incredible 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and I'm refreshing every day to like see that
2: oh, Wait though, how, it? how is that variety review not even on there yet
1: I don't know and that's the thing I'm like why isn't this here it's been like a week it's been two it's <laughs> been a month now so
2: so okay so and of course we all met at Fantastic Fest where we had our live show and I don't know if y'all listened to our um, Speed Dating around 2 episode from earlier in the year, but in that we, we we did a listener survey, and we kind of asked people, you know, oh, what is your favorite episode? What is your least favorite episode? And we actually, we got a lot of replies about how some of our listeners didn't like the live episode. Kind of bummed both of us out, because we thought it was, I mean, awkwardness of the first, like, five or ten minutes aside, like, it, it was dishy drama that I... I thought it worked really well, but <laughs> i I think that people can I, I think that people again, without the context of where Mark was coming from, took right. him to to be like I honestly think they thought that he was bullying us, and we tried <laughs> to make that as clear as possible, like like in that discussion of speed dating is like this isn't what was happening, but I mean. Y'all yeah, it had wasn't us. about us. It was literally... Right. Like,
1: I, I, I do remember, like, I kind of pulled both of you over in the beginning before we started recording. I'm like,
2: oh, he's not ready to make jokes about this yet. So um, tread lightly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, After the fact, Joe was like, we really probably should have known, but... I mean, granted, it's our first live show. We, I, I, I had three whiskeys before we even did that, so that was great. It was
1: one in the afternoon. <laughs> Jesus
2: you guys, you didn't see her up
3: close. She only had one eye open. And... Oh, Jesus.
1: <laughs> well, that's why he came in hot. That was the first time you guys had met each other, right?
2: Well, I think, okay, I, yeah. that,
1: I, think I had heard that.
2: Yes. So no, we, we tried to get a drink with him before the recording, just to sit down and talk about what we wanted from the episode. And he was like, sure. But then he came down and was setting up his merch table the whole time, which understandable <laughs> because it's his God merch table. God bless that
1: merch table. It has gotten us... Across the world.
2: That merch table is a money maker. But I only said, I just because, yeah, so we didn't get to have that moment. So the first time we really interacted outside of saying, hi, I'm Trace, I'm Joe, I'm Mark, was on stage. <laughs> 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 so what was that like for y'all watching this shit go down?
1: Kind of died.
2: <laughs> I imagine the two of you were just in the corner
3: cackling like schoolgirls being like, these fucking idiots. <laughs> now they know no. what we put up with for five years, just no. being steamrolled well, by Mark Button.
4: You do realize that, like, that was our, that was the morning of our premiere, and we had back to back screenings. We had your preliminary event. We had the events afterwards. We Mm -hmm. had dinner to coordinate. It was like, 15 hours of events that we had been like oh and plus making sure the tech is all working properly and we're doing presentations and we were doing this big thing coordinating cecil to come up with us it was a lot so wait what you're saying is you didn't
3: care about us
4: (laughs) (laughs) no i'm saying at that point no the the
1: tensions were high and you were the first part of the day and it was just like oh no is this gonna be we
2: we broke the ice basically (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. No, I, I confess, like I didn't edit any of that episode because I was like, I don't want to listen to this again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right.
2: I mean, I fell in love with
1: Robert Rustler in that moment. Mm-hmm. He was just been yeah, like so the charming. perfect, you know, charming comic relief of the whole experience
2: yeah no he he was great and even going back and watching him in vamp i was like oh my god like he is utterly charming it's nuts the charisma really comes through in in real life as well
4: but so i think what you got to make hopefully to make you feel a little more at ease with this um that that was that was at a point where we did not have there was a lot of resolution that hadn't come yet Mm -hmm. about our film Mm -hmm. like how what what was jack shoulder's reception of the film how about david chaskin how about like people still weren't really we hadn't yet been given the the thumbs up from everyone right. like we are now like people saying they loved it this was still very raw for mark and for us as filmmakers but for mark people weren't telling him thank you you're a hero to me he was still wondering are people going to think that this matters to them. Mm-hmm. So he was very serious and he was very guarded and insecure cuz that was that was a big premiere for us. So if he came in seeming like a bully, that's definitely not the intention. And and we don't want you to have that takeaway. Oh, we when don't We did not.
2: That. No, we did not feel that way. I, I, immediately afterwards, Pat and or Mark walked up to me and he was like, I'm so sorry. I, I guess I was just like, no, this is great material. Like, I don't even give a shit. Like, I was like, it's totally fine. But but again, going off of the survey we had with our listeners, I was, again, as they were coming in, I was like, I'm a little shocked, like, at how that came across. At least from an maybe it was different live, like, if you were there. But I guess the recording of it, people were like, oh, this doesn't th- – <laughs> this doesn't seem right to me, and <laughs> um, and so that's why we're again we're pushing everyone. If you haven't seen it already, go out and rent or buy Scream Queen and watch that.
1: Oh, definitely buy it. You definitely need to buy it.
2: I mean, <laughs> oh, I know
1: you have to watch it like ten times to see everything in there. <laughs> oh, come on, yeah, they need to buy it because the cover is so cool. It right? is. Oh my god, so good. <laughs> Thank you, Matt Ryan Tobin. You're a genius. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So we will dive into this movie now. Y'all, y'all selected this movie. And I need y'all to, we need to know why
4: the fuck? Why? Why did (laughs) we select this movie? I forgot. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Is this where we're starting? (laughs) Yeah, we're starting Poltergeist. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. I will fight everyone for this movie, but I'm going to let you just go. Why why
1: <laughs> why are you asking? No, why? um. So you you gave us a list of movies that we could choose, <laughs> and you were like, none a, of
2: those. Poltergeist guys. None do. of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of them. I think none of them.
1: I really wanted Hello Mary Lou. Prom night 2, Just because I can't stop talking about that. That's movie. an
4: excellent one. Fair, Can I, no, fair. but I'll honestly answer your question. Mm. I feel like what we're gonna get into with this is a generational talk about horror, which is I think where this lies because. I think, especially when you're talking about the '80s, um, we we love it for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. That I think is going to come out as we start exploring these things. And I heard that from the get go. I can hear it in your tone when you're talking about this movie. <laughs> and no, and it's fine. But I. I think that's what this is good for is because right now we have a big nostalgia trap with the 80s and how it comes across to different people. You're
2: right, because it's the same thing with me in the 90s. I will defend that post-Scream slasher era until the day I die. No matter how bad I think the movies are, I love almost every single one of them. And it's the same thing with the 80s. And bear in mind, so this is both Joe and I's first time watching this movie. I I love the original. I had seen it as a kid, fucking loved it. I, for some reason, i never seen this one. And I think I've seen parts of the third one, like, but I don't remember anything about it. I I don't dislike this movie. It's just, I think that the most successful things are the set pieces. I mean, specifically the, bra- and we'll get into it, but the braces scene and the vomit monster tequila thing. It's just, there's, and Kane is great, but there's something, honestly, that I was kind of like, I'm not... Fully invested in this film, like I, I actually love the first ten minutes. I love the pickup after the after the end, but then it kind of gets a little sloppy for me. But mm. you're not alone because a lot of people love this movie.
4: Yep, and there's reasons why I made lots of lists. I watched it again today. I've watched this movie more than probably any other horror movie, actually. Um, but there, there's a lot of interesting things here, which I like. I. How you what you just said about the 90s, Mm -hmm. I can't stand them. I that movies, (laughs) I just can't. And I, you know, I saw a lot of just for the the
1: record, Roman and I had a silent or a side conversation this morning where we talked about the Scream movies. And Mm -hmm. he, I don't know, I defended all of them.
2: Wait, Roman, (laughs) do you not like any of the Scream movies? Not really. All right. I literally Man, like the podcast so, is now over. No, cuz you're <laughs> right, right. So okay, I, I, I feel
1: like Roman has only seen Scream 3 because that's the only reference point he has. Oh, no, dude. okay. So
4: <laughs> I know it's the worst one by a, that I don't know the difference between them, but talking to Tyler, I I he Puts it into perspective. Like, no, that's two. You need to watch Scream Two. Scream Two. I have. I've seen them all. I don't think you have.
2: <laughs> he hasn't
1: seen Scream Four yet. And I would. know I Scream. Him that it was Scream worth
4: his time. Scream Four. I have not seen, and I would like to see it. I it's remember so it came out, and I thought, oh, that looks good. But I just, it's not a matter of me walking away going, I hated that movie. It was. I was. I was watching '90s movies the way older kids were watching '80s movies at the time, like having a beer, laughing with your date, and then you go out and do something else afterwards. Like, you didn't fucking care. It was just for fun.
2: Or if you're Gene Siskel. I don't know if y'all looked up his (laughs) review for Poltergeist 2, but uh, Uh, I I do want to point this out. So (laughs) Gene Siskel did not like this movie. Um, yeah. he, he gave the first movie a one and a half out of four, so that gives no. you like your kind of like litmus litmus test right there. This movie he gave a one out of four because he had mm-hmm. issues with placing child actors in these scenes. He ca- he called yeah. it child abuse. Um, (laughs) he refers to zelda rubenstein as a female dwarf wizard with a southern accent oh um, no and also a lady midget oh no he then says joe beth williams a sometimes fine actress who has no shame and then oh my god stop it it, in a parenthetical (laughs) she ran down a hall naked in teachers and now returns to this junk so she did nude scenes and therefore she has no shame and then describes the director of this film, Brian Gibson, an English filmmaker of no discernible pride. Ladies and gentlemen, someone with a voice that was delivered
3: on a platform across America.
4: <laughs> yeah. Tyler and I had to investigate a lot of of the, you know, reviews from these guys mm. when we were making Scream Queen. And yeah. They didn't like horror. They movies. didn't like no. it at <laughs> yeah. horror at all. They did not see the value in it whatsoever. Which, so, which, which is
2: surprising, though. Like, I mean, it's it's a rare thing, but like Roger Ebert gave Devil's Rejects a three out of four. You know, so yeah, it's... but
4: that was like a hundred years later, right? And and the the genre had crafted itself into something that they couldn't get away from. Mm. And I understand some of their critique with slashers. You know, in the eighties, it, it was kind of like a bitter pill to swallow that like, this is something they should take seriously when they're watching just the exploitation of women on screen. That was right. so prevalent.
3: Well, and I think also the the sheer volume, right? Like they could not get away from slashers because so many of them were coming out. But yeah, to disparage an entire genre, like I, I feel like Roman, I'm going to put words in your mouth.
2: Feel <laughs> <Do> free <afraid laughs> to be
3: like, Hey, get out of there. As long as yes. they're just words, he'll just be words. Can we Only put other words. things in your mouth? No fists, yeah. no feet, no nothing. <laughs> No. I, I, I'm a glass of wine deep, so uh, I'm about to get up, real horny. up, shut up, all of you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like what you were trying to get at was your connection to Poltergeist 2 specifically mm-hmm. is not just nostalgic, but it's something that it's a very different kind of 80s horror film than we traditionally give the 80s credit for. Like when we uh, talk about the 80s, we always talk about slasher films, and that mm-hmm. disparages the films that were coming out that don't fall into that
4: subgenre. That is definitely one of the things that I think. I, I think by the end of this, we're all hopefully going to bond a little bit more on that when we can talk about a little bit of the context from when it came out too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of appreciation that people have about this movie that they don't quite realize. Um, well,
2: I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, that's actually a great jumping off point then. Um, but oh, first, really quick, the way you feel about this is probably the way again someone like me. Feels about mm. I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is a subpar slasher film, but it's like a five out of five mm. in my book, you know? Oh,
1: I love that movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tyler like loves those. Like I saw all of them in the theater. I was like 12 years old. And like I was already a horror fan before Scream came out. And then that just solidified everything. All, everything that came out afterwards, I was like, yeah. this is for me. I know exactly what it's referencing. And I love every single part of it.
4: Mm-hmm. I think I think part of it, too, for me was at that time when those movies were coming out, I was already I was working as a makeup artist in Hollywood, not on big, big things more on behind the scenes stuff. But, I, yeah. I you know, I had some friends that were making films like I went to the premiere of urban legend i think mm-hmm. uh i Wait, was there with urban
2: legend or urban legend's final cut that's an important distinction no 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 the first
4: one i was there rebecca gayheart was sitting <laughs> okay. with
2: us oh and was, um... big hair her big
4: hair i just came a little bit she was friends with the people that i was that i knew that were darren stein had made uh jawbreaker oh Kumble. yeah 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 and so we all went to this thing and I just was like, oh, the Noxema girls here. That's funny. Yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> it wasn't, I think I was because I was a little bit older. So I was taking them just, I was, they were a little more disposable for me. Right. You know, That's so fair. I didn't really connect with a lot of them. But at the same time, I was, I love the dark grittiness of 80s horror. And then in the 90s, everything got really well lit. Yeah. and that's mm-hmm. when I kind of was like hey, um, this isn't um, my aesthetic unless you're
2: I... talking about the gardening scenes in this movie which are so bright <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: yes
2: oh, well God. I love that okay <laughs> No, we will get there. We will get there. Trace, walk us through the production history. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, do it, do it, do it. time setting. So, Poltergeist to the other side, came out Memorial Day weekend, 1986. This is May 23rd, 1986. uh, Distributed by MGM with a runtime of 91 minutes, although reports say that the original cut was 131 minutes, which is... (sighs) That is crazy. I, I don't know. Budget of $19 million, which is about double that of the first film, which I find surprising because there's way less effects in this movie. Opened in the number two slot with $12.4 million, behind Cobra, which opened with $15.6 million, it went on to gross about $41 million domestically, uh, no international gross. Uh, $41 million is about a third of what the first one made, but again, it's still a hit. Like This is still a successful film. And um, reviews... I mean, again, we go Rotten Tomatoes. It's it's tough with older films. And by older, I mean anything before, like 95. Because there's only 19 reviews to pull from. But we're looking at a 37% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 4.7 out of 10. Uh, Letterboxd score, we're looking at a 5.4 out of 10. But the time that this was released, do, do you want to elaborate on that a little
4: bit? So here's the thing. This was the first movie that, that we Gather round, got, children. Got, come come <laughs> hither. This was the first movie that was like... My dad's friend brought over because he had two VCRs. And whoa, he could dub a movie that he rented. And so he's handing me this tape. I'm like, what?
1: You know, it's so dangerous. I think I was like
4: 10 or 11 at the time. And um, it was really scary. And the reason it was really scary was because this was the time when we had the Night Stalker in California. I lived in California. Mm. My suburb looked just like that. And we were told in school, like, there was... Guys driving by in vans that would like try and pick kids up and like walk you down the street. You're not supposed to talk to strangers and people are always trying. Kid abduction was like a big thing. So seeing that preacher come and like kind of haunt Carol Ann in the mall and come to the house and be roaming around the house. That's like the kind of stuff that we were talking about all the time on the news, at school. I couldn't walk home without always having to watch for who's driving by. So when you think about the people like Freddie and Jason and yeah, they were really scary. But this is the first time it was somebody that just seemed like that could be real. Despite that he can walk through people. <laughs> you know what yeah of course no no no. Do you know what i'm no. saying like for a kid
2: that it, it was the scariest i have talked to so many people that said kane terrified me as a child like terrified oh, me same, same. Completely it, absolutely understand. If you saw this movie as a child, absolutely. And I the thing with again, I, I think that my thing with this movie is yes, had I seen it as a kid, I would probably have more of a nostalgia factor. It's kind of my same issue with the Phantasm series. Like, I don't like any of those movies, but that's <gasps> because I but 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 <laughs> that's because I
4: saw Phantasm for the first time when I
2: was twenty seven. And I was watching and I was like, what the fuck is this? I hate this. So
4: But I still watch it all the time. It is like my favorite horror movie.
1: But that you saw when you were a child.
4: No, Phantasm. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! Well, I no. like this this weird supernatural stuff. i yeah. do, I don't like teens in like fatal car crashes or whatever. Like it's Final fine. Destination two. <laughs> yeah, whatever.
3: Well, there's something to be said about almost the <laughs> innocuous suburban horror that the poltergeist yeah. especially the first two films. Not so much the third film, which
4: is. Right, a different, different
2: beast. Man, you 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 say that, but I had some people telling me, "Oh no, the third one's better." And I was like, "I I don't I haven't seen it, but I can almost guarantee you're wrong.
1: It is so absurdly wrong in every way. <laughs> like I ask, I, I I it's dare a different you
2: show, to watch Tyler,
1: and <laughs> it's a different try show. to make the ending make sense.
3: Oh, but come on, it's because when your lead actress dies and you yeah. to reshoot the ending. I mean let let's just get it on the table the poltergeist franchise is a little bit cursed
1: (laughs) having to think what i would do if i shot 85 percent of a movie and then couldn't finish it the way it was planned like what would i do
2: exactly well that will be y'all sequel episode so (laughs) let's dive into poltergeist colon the other side (laughs) all right so (laughs) as always the other side that's a
1: different movie
3: (laughs) all right so the film opens and we are in the canyons and we are high atop a tall rock we've got two two indigenous men who
2: call for spirits from a campfire how often do they say the word indian in this movie yeah, I will not be saying that word. <laughs> <laughs> Although, do you, I mean, because the trailer for this movie is actually very good. Um, I have the Scream Factory Blue, but I didn't watch any of the extra features. Um, but the trailer is very good at not giving anything away. Like, it's just a bunch of flashes of, like, scary shit happening. How confused do you think a bunch of white people were walking into this movie and just getting 10 minutes of Native Americans?
4: Not at all. That like this this was when we had Romancing the Stone, Julia Nile, Indiana Jones. Like this is the kind of shit that like all movies started with then, of that caliber. Mm-hmm. I think like the the beginning part. I think that's what I know. It's weird. You may not like it, but I think that's what a sequel is supposed to do. It's mm-hmm. supposed to elevate a story and add this new element. I mean, otherwise they're going to be like that was the same as the first one. So well,
2: no. So so that is what I will give this movie. And I I wrote in my letterbox review. I was like. I appreciate that it's not more of the same. It's not mm. just they're in a house and there's hauntings. They do try something legitimately different. It is ambitious in the sense that they are adding a whole like wealth of backstory and opening up this world. I don't think most of it works personally, but I can at least appreciate that
4: ambition. But you do realize that the whole... Underlined story they didn't like hammer home too much in the first one was that it was on an Indian burial ground. right? So
2: okay, because I, I haven't seen the first one in a couple of years. It wasn't the conceit of the first one. They they built the house over a graveyard, but they, and they removed the stones, but they didn't remove the bodies. Was the word right. Indian burial ground ever actually mentioned? Yeah. Okay, then never mind. Yeah. <laughs> then your point is
1: wait. Wait, was it?
2: <laughs> well because yes. I was like it's really weird that we have it's a graveyard that they didn't move the bodies and then all of a sudden the second one is like oh wait no it's also a graveyard and it's this cave underground where a cult died
4: so the the cult thing was what was developed in the sequel
2: yeah that's a right. so, bit of the retcon there. that's the retcon
4: they they the the lie in this in part two they explain that like oh they were slot they were massacred by Indians and that's that was yes. the story that people okay. thought when really it was like, no, they weren't massacred by Indians. That's gotcha. that was just their local legend or something.
2: Yes. Mm.
3: Okay. So <laughs> this main character is Taylor played by Will Sampson, who is mm. an actual indigenous person. I'm happy to report. So we actually mm. have, you know, an own voices <laughs> kind of deal, which is nice. And so he ends up, Inhaling some kind of spirit, and then he drives to the badly damaged suburb where. So this film takes place one year after the events of the first film, despite coming out four
2: years later. Sure, I right, mean, you, you, which
1: is a problem.
2: You got to keep them somewhat still traumatized, though. Right, but when you have Carol Ann... And granted, I, I don't. I think it's fine. Like I think both her and the boy that plays Robbie like look. They don't look that much older, which is kind of shocking to me.
1: Right. My biggest problem is how they write Carol Ann... She's, like, giving dialogue like she's much younger, and that always irritates me. She does come off a little bit more juvenile, for sure. Yeah. Right, like, oh, I'm gonna be a ballerina. It was just like...
2: Bitch, what?
1: (laughs) Come on. You're speaking full sentences now. Let's...
2: (laughs) Both Carol Ann and Tangina are very underdeveloped in this movie, I think. And granted, it means that we have more screen time for the the adults. And I I think that Craig T. Nelson and Jemeth Williams are fucking great in this movie i love their chemistry yeah and it makes me honestly do i do want the longer cut because uh, some of the stuff that supposedly was cut was more stuff with at least tangina i don't know about carol ann but yeah so that's kind of my my jumping off point for that
4: one of the notes i made when i was watching this was that the parents carry this whole movie Mm -hmm. like they're they're but in a fabulous way but that's what they did in the first one together they were a they were fantastic couple and their development is interesting and entertaining, and I think that without it this movie would have been complete garbage. I, I agree oh, with that. Yeah, and yeah,
2: Craig yeah. T. Nelson, no matter what he's doing in this movie, is go ahead, get the thirst strap out. I, I love him. I love <laughs> Did him. Did you say so the much. most charming? He's so charming in this movie. Yeah, I agree. He's charismatic. Even when he's angry, bitching about how furious the car is, like it's I, I found him delightful to watch in this movie.
1: Yep. Right. And the fact that he's always screaming at Taylor reminded me of my father screaming at me all the time. So <laughs> no. it was very close to home.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, we're gonna get you to the therapy after this recording. <laughs> Can't we do it right now? Back to getting to the house though. I love how he just shows up and all of a sudden like Tangina just like pops up out of the hole and it's like, Taylor, hi
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's a present.
2: There's a
3: present. I mean Tangina is She's teleporting all over the fucking place when Dude. she does show up in this movie. Wherever she needs to be, she is there. How she got there, nobody knows. Um,
2: but also so is Taylor in the climax when he's just in the cave. <laughs> oh, 100%. Oh, and yeah, yeah. we need to get Too there. many narrative yes, jumps. Yes, I'm sorry. Continue your plot summary.
3: <laughs> so basically, this is just our, our introduction, our reintroduction to this world. This pivotal character and, of course, the... The idea that there are more bodies than we maybe anticipated in this graveyard under the pool. It'll come back later, kind of, sort of. So, let's check in with the Freeling family, uh, minus Dominique Dunn's Dana, who, of course, in real life, had tragically been murdered by a boyfriend and was therefore unable to reprise her role in the sequel. And well, they never talk about it. Well, and they never talk about there it. There was apparently there a scene that they cut There was a scene, in,
2: supposedly, where they mentioned that she's off at college, which honestly... I think they could have kept. Like I I don't know if maybe they thought it was insulting to to done to like include a scene where they write up her character, but I I don't know. I almost It seems more a little fun- weird to just
3: forget about one of the family members considering the literal theme of this movie that just gets hammered fucking home every time is family family family, we got to stick together family is
2: stronger when we are together and you're like so what about that missing daughter and granted (laughs) she doesn't have a big part in the first movie other than when she shows up and she's like what's happening but yes it's a little i I was like she's the avatar for
1: the audience
3: (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and here she's not there for that but yeah i do agree it's always a little bit weird when the film just kind of says oh we're just not going to address something that
2: happened in real life You're like but we all know i mean and we haven't really talked about it but i mean just i, mean, I don't want to go into too much detail but i mean yeah the first movie has a history of being a quote unquote cursed production with bad shit happening i think with, well we'll talk about it with kane but it's got its own episode on Shudder. just go watch that yeah. yes
1: who has a poster also done by matt ryan tobin plug plug
2: plug it it up damn it save the
3: plugs for the end okay so the freeling are the freeling family are living with grandma jessica played by geraldine fitzgerald and she is far too interested in carolyn how would
1: you describe her accent in this movie
3: I was too busy looking at her teeth the whole time. Dude! Oh my god, they match her
2: hair! Well... (laughs) Give her a break! I think they're supposed to be the good version of um, Julian Beck's teeth. Like, it's like (laughs) like good and evil, you know? They're both very large, they're both kind of brown.
1: The SFX budget was so high.
4: (laughs) Well,
3: and it's the 80s, you're not whitening your teeth.
4: Why was she too interested in Carol Ann? I I didn't get that.
3: I got the impression that so it it seems, it's hinted at that Diane, played by Joe Beth Williams, has not really confided too much in her mother, the events of what happened in the first movie. No,
2: because there's a scene later where she has to tell her. And I'm like, wait, bitch, you've been living with her this whole time? And you have well, not. Se- they've told the it's insurance. It's
1: only been a year.
2: But wait, they've told the insurance companies that the house disappeared, but they can't tell the fucking grandma?
3: <laughs> exactly. It seems like they they settled on a story to tell official people in the interest of maybe getting some money back for their house, because we quickly learn that the family is financially destitute. They cannot get money back from their house, and therefore they cannot buy their own house. So hence they're living with Grandma Jessica. But it doesn't really seem like they've confided in her any of the specifics and particularly not
4: anything to do with Carol Ann. They haven't. Right. Because she's hiding the supernatural aspect of it. And she's like, the house just did the, the grandma knows something crazy happened, but they mm-hmm. don't, Joe Beth Williams doesn't feel comfortable talking about that.
2: Yeah. Yes. And grandma's here for five minutes. And it's that's t- true. <laughs> I do love the fact that her, her way of testing
3: it is to see whether or not Caroline can pick out a color without looking at a basket. I'm like, I oh, Poltergeist 2, this is a, this is the level of special <laughs> effects dedication I mean, we're going to go for, huh? Honestly,
2: I did want more of Geraldine Fitzgerald in this movie. Um, not the more that we get in the final scene, but I was yeah. a bit, I will say that I was shocked when she died so early. Oh, yeah. She is here for her hot five seconds.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, basically, that's, uh, well, we'll get there in a moment. First, we've got to get our introduction to our villain. So, they go to the market, some kind of flea market, it seems like, open concept, very, you know, California. And
2: Caroline gets separated from her mother and her older brother, Robbie. And no one cares that she is running around yelling, Mommy! Mommy! No one even looks at her. (laughs) (laughs) No. Because, well, maybe at this point, people just were like... Uh,
1: let that child get abducted by. Right. This is every child's fear when they're a kid. I mean, to be honest, I had never seen an open air mall like this before. It was very strange to me. Have you Growing grown up in up California up in Minnesota. I was like, I, no.
4: What? Where I, I went to places like that all the time. So that made it even scarier. Yeah. I was going to say
2: like, we have like outlet malls like in San Antonio and stuff in Texas that are yeah. like that.
4: Parts of Texas are, are very similar to where I grew up in California. And, mm-hmm. And and yeah, like I can understand the fear. I, I guess it's scary re- regardless if you get separated from your family. But when you're suddenly like out in the world, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how old Ann's supposed to be in this movie actually. Uh, so I I think seven. Yeah, I got like seven or
2: eight. But maybe. but she's okay. actually like eleven or ten.
4: Yeah. Well, then that's right on for Hollywood. Right. Usually it's more but than that. I
2: wrote in my notes because like then we cut, of course, to um, Beth Williams, and she's like looking at shirts with Robbie. And she's like, "Where's Carol Ann?" And I was like, <laughs> "Is she a worse mom than Catherine O'Hara in Home Alone in this movie?"
4: No. No. No, what are you talking about? That was like she <laughs> she is... went in one store. Yeah.
3: This is the primal fear, right? As a parent, right. you you leave, you you turn away for 1 second to look at a goddamn shirt for yourself and all of a sudden your your stupid special daughter is missing
1: again. <laughs> Just like who's been talking to the kittens and they want to come home with her. Yeah, Like if that's not a red flag that my daughter is gifted, I don't know what is. But
3: Diana's probably like, I just want something normal for a hot second. I don't want to hear about kittens wanting to come home. (laughs) I don't want things floating in the air. I just want to buy a fucking peasant blouse.
4: (laughs) And Robbie is sitting there like pressing her to buy a television. And she's like, we're not getting a TV. And it's incessant. So I don't know. I know Robbie's we skipped it, worst. but there was
2: a casual late 80s use of the R word by Robbie earlier
4: in this oh, film. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But we all, we all said that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's, it's the time.
1: The particular slang in this movie, he likes to add the O to the end of every word choice that he wants. They say Jerko later in the film, too. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>
2: so Kane and listeners, Julian Beck is our queer connection to this film. What are our thoughts on Cain? His introduction. Of
1: course, the old scary man is the homosexual child predator. Like, right? mm-hmm. what else are we going to expect in the eighties?
2: I messaged Joe and I was like, "Did did Chris Elliott base his scary movie two yes. character on this character? Because he yes. had to, right? It's my strong hand, <laughs> <laughs> mashed potatoes." No, there's a part later where he, where he's like, "You can't keep her. I'm not dead. And I was like, <laughs> Yes, yeah. that's, that's that's scary movie too."
1: <laughs> right. Right. But also, you know, fashion forward.
2: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. This is like every late teens fashion blogger outfit, head to toe, hat, bolo tie. Perfect. <laughs> uh, see, I... I was getting Children of the Corn
4: all grown up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think time. he was absolutely terrifying. Like I already oh, said. He is. He is. Um, the introduction to him is was, oh, my God. I mean. We all know that he was sick and so he looked skeletal with cancer. Yeah, I felt that super was shitty awesome. about
2: making that comment online. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that that, that no, that, that's a okay. good so listeners in case you did not know, um actor Julian Beck did have stomach cancer while filming this film. He died before post-production finished. So some of his dialogue is actually um ADR with another actor, but that's why he looks so gaunt in the film. And the uh, he's actually famous. He he founded, um, he co-founded, I'm sorry, The Living Theater, which is an American theater company that was founded in 1947. Um, they did experimental theater. But his queer aspect is, um, he's married, he was married to actress Judith Molina. They had an open marriage. And he and Molina shared a lover in Lester Schwartz, a bisexual shipyard worker who was the third husband of Andy Warhol acolyte Dorothy Podber.
1: Woof. get it, julian
3: yeah i mean he
2: could get it clearly um but yes rip thoughts and prayers rest in peace
3: i think the thing that i like the most about this introduction i mean the character overall super creepy i think i mean god this man is literally dying on screen and he is so creepy like he is really committed to this role Mm -hmm. yeah but i love that this introduction happens in full sunlight like there are very few scenes with kane are there even any scenes with kane in the dark they're all
2: daylight and he is terrifying minus the tequila worm thing at the end but that's not even the actor Mm -hmm. right
1: now him in the cave
2: yeah.
4: Well, so I did watch the the extras from the Blu Ray. Good. Um, and I've seen them before. And so one of the featurettes is all about H.R. Giger, who was the obviously the designer for a lot of the the characters. Mm-hmm. But he was he was also the he came up with the concepts overall. So like, if you really look throughout the movie, not to spoil where we're going, but like even just like through the ending, Kane was brought in. If you look in the details of the monsters throughout the entire thing, his face is in all of them.
2: Even Uh, if it's just like
4: the weird totem pole thing in the void at the end, all that. So that's where Kane is. Like they took his face and it's all over and it's implanted on Carol Ann. It's all over. So anytime it's dark, it's usually been applied as an effect or, but when you see him as a man, it's always him in the daylight going door to door looking scary as shit mm-hmm. you know
1: <laughs> did yeah. this not make you terrified of like door-to-door televangelists? right people? i was just scared of
4: it's just i don't know
3: you can say a roman you were scared of strange men it's fine i was scared we of strange men. Mm.
1: now it's this kink
3: <laughs> now it's just an open door policy <laughs> <laughs> How come this grinder profile says "hit me like I'm one of Kane's acolytes"?
2: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Whoa. stupid! No, no, no. <laughs> if, if if you put that on your grinder profile and someone responds and gets the reference, keep them. That that's marriage material right
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I hope everything works out
4: for the both of you. Um, mm.
2: Thoughts and prayers. Mm. Well, what did you guys think when you for the introduction of him? I'm coming at it from a di- very different perspective because I had mm-hmm. I knew going into this. Like I knew the Kane thing. I knew that it was a, the stuff of nightmares for children. So I was watching and I'm like trying to put myself in the body of like an 8-year-old. Ew. Uh in the mind of an 8-year-old. <laughs> um, nice save. No, I I I I I do like him. I think he looks sufficiently creepy. Um him walking through a lady is fine. Honestly, it's it's when he meets Caroline and he just sings a song to her. Yeah, I, I Singing, that's terrifying. very it is. Well, also it's hey okay.
4: But why God. do you have to be eight years old to be scared of that character? Well, I'm
2: getting there. So I don't okay. think necessarily. I mean, because right now, me, I, I'm never gonna have kids. I don't want kids. I hate kids. I don't care. But <laughs> I think that. Watching this, and this is going to sound terrible, he looks kind of pedophilic.
1: Right. I think that is the point.
2: Yes. And so watching this, if you have an affinity for children that I do not have. Wait, like an affinity
3: like you want to have them and you value them as human beings? Or yes. like you have a sexual predator
2: No, 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 no. Value them as human beings. You like yeah. children. You think they're great. Well, you want kids, whatever. You want a family, blah, 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 blah. Because it, 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 that's every parent's nightmare, right? That their child will be picked up by a pedophile and abused and so just watching this scene I'm like okay I can see it so yes th- this is effective for me i mean i think everything with kane is effective my overall issue with the film honestly it's kind of a script thing for me it's 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 sequelitis and i hate using that term because i'm generally <laughs> quite forgiving with sequels but this this works for me I think I wanted more of Kane. I actually I thought that yeah. he was
3: going to be a lot more present. And even though, you know, Roman, you've identified that he is visually represented in a lot of the monsters.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know. There, There's something so threatening about him just with the human visage that I would have liked to. And maybe this was an issue where, like, Julian Beck was already sick before they even began right. production on the film. So maybe this is all he could give to the production. But it it makes me wish that he could have been more of a presence in this film, because I feel like the film is hmm. lacking when
2: he's not there to be threatening. I don't fully disagree with, uh, sorry, I don't fully agree with that because again, like we said earlier, I think the parents carry this film. The, even the scene earlier when the, the parents are flirting and they're about to get it on and the Carol Ann rudely interrupts them. Um, oh, but
1: she waits a good long,
2: but oh, she watches yeah, but them. She still <laughs> sleeps with them at night. How
1: are they supposed to have sex? If she's um, in and the she bathes
2: with the mother still.
3: Oh,
1: but that's so sweet. That uh, scene is very tender. And also, Uh,
3: she's probably suffering from PTSD. If we're
1: being honest, probably so. (laughs)
2: Uh, But (laughs) don't leave
1: that girl alone ever again. I think that's the takeaway from the first movie.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I I agree that the film is at its best when Kane is being menacing. I don't think it falls apart when he's not there because again, I like the scenes with the parents. But I don't know. It it almost feels overstuffed to me sometimes. Where it's like I think you're trying to do too much movie. Whereas the first one is a bit more simplistic. Okay, well, let's dive back into this. So we end up rescuing
3: Carol Ann from Kane, and we've identified, okay, he's probably going to be the threatening menace in the film. Cut to later that evening, and Grandma Jess more or less ends up dying, but it's very clearly revealed that she is still going to be in contact with Carol Ann because she calls Carol Ann on the telephone. We don't hear any audio, but it's very
2: evident the next morning when we find out she's dead, caroline was talking to her i did love all of this with her on the phone the dolls turning their heads again i wanted more stuff like this and i feel like this movie doesn't deliver on that front but these scenes oh are those very those
1: insert shots of the rain falling from
2: the window good. there's a shot when it starts raining of just the it's like the overhead shot of the clouds and it's like slow motion rain almost that is gorgeous. i love those cloud effects so gorgeous
4: much. mm-hmm I, I it was amazing and then when when the music hits when when well i guess we're skipping ahead but when when finally the second phone call happens and it isn't the grandmother and the music hits with the thunder and everything and it's like boom now this is happening and everything's well, flying around the room that was pretty fantastic
2: and <laughs> it's important to know that the, the the composer for this film is jerry goldsmith and i wrote him i i, I didn't I mean, I had written that. I knew that was a thing, but I wrote my notes. I was like, oh, this this music is very omen-y because it's like that choral right. music. And lo and behold, he composed the omen.
4: <laughs> the other thing that you should probably know about this is this came out at a time when Amazing Stories had come out. Do you mm-hmm. know that series? No, um, no it was it. it. was It was like a family... Uh, <laughs> Well, it was like family oriented. I love all of those. He did. If you
1: watch nothing else, you have to watch the episode with um, Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman. Oh Oh, yeah, and there's a cursed diamond ring. ring. Oh, it's
4: so good. So So this this was like the family version of the Twilight Zone, and the uh, he did the opening score to that, and that became very then that kind of like the success of that started the whole like Disney family weekend movie or whatever Hmm. and so his music it became i think that's part of what might have been the problem with poltergeist 2 is like is this supposed to be a feel-good family horror movie like how do you push all this stuff together i think
1: i I think that's the selling point of this movie it's like it's a pg-13 horror film for families and we as kids growing up in that era we're more likely to see this than Friday the Thirteenth. Right. Oh yeah, because yeah, like, well, yeah, this year would hardcore... have been
2: Hardcore Part Six. Part Six of Friday the Thirteenth would have been out this year. Right, right. But like,
1: parents are like, absolutely no way. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, Plague too. Yeah, maybe,
4: sure. maybe. Which is which is what happened with me. Same. So. Same with me.
3: Yeah, Well, yeah, because if you guys were like 11, 12, lower, well, I was, mid I
1: to was. low teens. I was one years old when this movie came out. Oh, so God. I probably wasn't watching it until two or three years oh, later. My God. We have so HBO many sides of the age something. spectrum
2: on this podcast. 89 for me, 85 for Tyler, 82 for Joe. Mm-hmm. And then Roman. 2000. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
1: He's forever 27. It's a and 70s baby. He's, don't a 70s do baby. It's He's not seventies. any not important. He's Benjamin yeah. Buttoning. Yeah. It's yeah. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, the, that is a very important thing yeah. to consider. That this is a horror movie for families. And younger kids are watching this more so than what else is happening. The, the first 80s. one was PG
2: right. because it, it came out before PG-13 existed. Poltergeist, right. Gremlins, and Temple of Doom are the three reasons that um we have a PG- PG- Tis, yeah. which came out in eighty four.
1: Oh wait, have you guys seen Burnt Offerings with Karen Black? No. No. Add
2: no. it to your
1: list. It's a female shining. Okay. Oh, no. it came Just, out okay. in like nineteen eighty as well. Wait. It's also PG. It has an incredible fucked up ending for a PG film.
2: Oh, it's PG. Okay. I was thinking Deadly Blessing, which is in a Wes Craven movie, um, with Sharon Stone. Right. Not the same thing. But yes, okay. No. Under noted. Burnt
1: offerings, it's very... There's a queer sequence in there that is very problematic.
3: Oh, we love problematic queer sequences. (laughs) (laughs) It's like what half the podcast is made of. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay, well, we basically... I mean, there's there's like one kind of key sequence in between where we see Diane just wandering through her mother's rose bushes and remembering her dead mom, and it's hinted at here that Diane also has latent supernatural abilities that she is not acknowledging and then we're
2: right into nightmare scenarios it's a bit of a retcon though right because in the first one it's like oh it's the power of love the mother's love for a daughter and in this one it's like oh no she's actually also psychic or clairvoyant
4: what but why do you think i mean i kind of get the feeling if you really want to get deep with it that it would take them it would take having that sort of power to draw the dark side to your daughter like otherwise they'd just go snatch any kid on the block you know like there's some draw there. And so having it be a developed adult makes sense to me. That's right. just what I always thought when I saw did it. Did
1: any of you think of Dr. Sleep while you're re- rewatching this movie?
4: Um, mm. 100%. I
2: hadn't, right. but now I can totally like, see it. Like down to the hat. <laughs> yes, uh, it, it did. Because I was trying to think the whole time, what is this like? It's like this clairvoyant girl and this guy is coming after her. What? I've seen something recently that reminds me of that. Thank you. Right, it's Doctor Sleep. <laughs> right,
1: and it, it it totally. I think that's why I connected with it so much. Like this feels very familiar. I love this idea of the gifted child and it, growing up and dulling your shine to kind of exist in the normal world yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And how that is a very important uh, arc. And I think a lot of queer people that were like we realized that we're different really young, and in order to survive yeah you got and junior well, high we kind of like hide the the femier parts of our personality or not be bullied every day,
3: mm-hmm. and
1: it was like oh this is this is hitting home for me
3: okay so now we get to the scene there's the great scene where we get the raindrops that are falling through the skylight and onto the telephone making the ringing noise and this is when we know the spirits are back because of
2: course caroline also tells us in a light of dialogue <laughs> okay. uh, the tagline for the film and the main line the only line in the trailer actually
1: I, I wrote in my notes that a shirtless craig t nelson in this moment
2: is very appreciated yeah i was like is he wearing pants
1: i need to know and then he was, and I was disappointed. But uh, yeah. that is nothing uh, good nor there. Oh, in the director's cut. No,
2: <laughs> that 130-minute cut. I don't find him attractive in this movie, but his personality right. makes him right. attractive like, He's got, he's got attractive some mullet me. hair It's here. the 80s hair, man. Oh, I didn't care. Oh. I didn't mind. Well, look, but right. If you had just shown me him, I would have been like, no, not interested. But with his charisma in this film, it makes me attracted to him. Yeah,
4: that's the way he is. He has charisma. In everything he does, I'm like, I go in thinking he's not attractive, and yeah. then I'm like, he's pretty hot. He's got yeah. a good
1: presence. Destroy me. Good for him.
3: So everybody flips the fuck out because things are levitating. We've got Carolyn announcing that spirits are back, so they try to bolt out of the house. This is when Taylor conveniently arrives, and he says, you know, no, don't go, and they're like, right. fuck you, bye. But
1: th- this is a thing that I wrote down in my notes. Like, he, they're they, the characters are running out of the house. They're trying to escape. They open the door, and they're shocked to find somebody there. Not unlike Sidney Prescott opens Dewey. the door and yeah. Dewey's. Right I thought there. the exact it's like same the thing. Same kind of like.
2: No, but that exchange, name's Taylor. Great, good name. Let's go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's why we love Craig T. Nelson. He's like, oh.
3: So they hit up a diner, and this is when Grandma Jess possesses a lesbian in hair rollers and tells the family that they need to stay together.
1: <laughs> this is my favorite scene of the whole movie. <laughs> This is
3: why you watch the movie. Yeah, there is something special about this lady. Her, I mean, I appreciated that the actress actually changed her inflection so that she's mm-hmm. got a different accent because, you know,
4: she probably didn't have to do it. She could have just stared bug eyed at the camera. Yeah. Oh no, wait, right. do you think
1: that's her voice doing? It's an not impression? Her, It's
4: not her voice, but. <laughs> The way that she's speaking changes, so her face is moving differently. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Oh, I I had one note about this moment, too. Um, In terms of, this is for Roman, actually. Oh. When they start any scary scene, you always hear a rattlesnake sound effect. Yes! I I wrote that down. It is
4: everywhere. (laughs) And
1: once you hear it the first time, it's like you hear it every 30 seconds.
2: Is it a rattle? Because I thought it was a hiss, like a hissing sound.
4: It's a hiss. So what they did, so I actually wrote this down because I said this, the moment in the, it it actually, the, the backyard scene with the breeze Yeah. is actually, I think, one of the nicest scenes of grief I've seen in a movie, the way they represent it. And then I love how they cut to the, to the nightmare scene and the zombies, like this is, this is like about the same year or a year after Goonies came out, like we had really great looking skeletons and zombies coming out. Finally, as the zombies are pulling her out, as we're being introduced to that new nightmare scene, the introduction is the sound of the snakes. And that's what mm-hmm. all of the darkness starts with. And as a sound engineer, that's the stuff that I love. And we didn't like the eighties was awesome for production, but it was only these bigger Nightmare on Elm Street 2 that uses whales and, and stuff like this. Like we didn't really have a lot of experimental sound design of, on movies of this caliber. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was all pretty straightforward. This was really layered. And as a side note, I liked how the, the opening reminded me of Freddy's revenge also with the bus on that big platform. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote that down in my
1: notes too.
2: You know, but that, that that's a great perspective that we don't have though. Um, is is the sound expertise that you have Robin. because mm. um Joe comments a lot how he, how he never notices score I'm fucking useless I, yeah, yeah, when it comes to sound no, but, design but and score. I, I, I'm not a music person either. I do notice score when like when it emotionally connects with me, but like sure. music in general, I, I I don't have I have more of a visual eye than an auditory ear sure my specialty is plot recap
1: (laughs) you're doing great sweetie i was watching it very closely you haven't screwed up once (laughs)
4: well then you then you get to watch a movie and experience it the way they want you to experience it i sit there and i'm like oh i can feel that low frequency coming i'm gonna count to six and then something's gonna jump out side
1: note side note uh roman and i were in la this summer for scream queen at outfest and we had an extra day and we went to go to the theater. We saw Crawl
2: <laughs> oh, and okay. I'm sitting
1: next to him and his sound partner, Jay. That sound, and that's good, right?
2: The sound and I saw
1: it twice. I loved it. Yeah. They are counting the seconds between like absolute silence to a scare almost perfect
4: perfectly and taking me out of the moment. And I yeah. was so upset.
1: Like, yeah, shut up.
4: <laughs> yeah. It's so it's formulaic for me. And in right. this case, I loved that they had all this other stuff that, wasn't so traditional and it, and it, and it really made it even today watching it today was a a wonderful experience because I'm like, wow, they really went for it. You know, Mm -hmm. they could have just had your orchestral score that was going to prompt you to jump, but they really add, they added great layers to it. I thought
1: I do love a non-traditional motif. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Okay,
3: so they, they're they basically dragged back to the house by Taylor, who is waiting for them outside. So, as you remember, we, we left off at the diner, and uh, they, you know, they spend the night, things are okay. They wake up in the morning, Steve makes a bunch of offensive and stereotypical remarks about indigenous people. Oh, he has the line Taylor. that's
2: like, I got nothing against these people, but... Well, yeah. But It's the, Except... t- it's the time, it's the time. <laughs>
4: He, the, it, it's from. It's not like excused at the time. Like that was known to be. That was a stereotype of the kind of people we had in the eighties. Yes. Like risky business. It's the. It's the. I know that they say you were never a hippie, but that's kind of what they're playing off of—is the ex-hippie turned business corporate guy that are trying to pretend to be PC. So, I don't think they were writing it to, like. Oh no, no! I think this is just.
3: This is kind of like this is a middle American, you know white guy suburban family man, and yeah, this is probably reflective of what a lot of people thought about indigenous people and i totally. I did want to raise it just because I think that this film does have some antiquated, mildly problematic depictions of like a it's like the indigenous equivalent of a magical Negro oh. totally and yeah and it's like it's commonplace in films of this era but i wanted to flag it as something where as a modern day viewer you watch it and you think okay i don't love this
4: i actually wrote in my i wrote down that at the end when he's giving and we'll get there more but like he's giving a speech at the very end of the movie trying to coax craig to like go and save his family and i've and i wrote this is the first time his character feels cliche to me even though i know that it you can recognize it as, as being stereotypical. But I, I felt he did a pretty good job, throughout most of this movie, not being that guy. Like, he had more of a full character that was likable, and he wasn't just playing to the white character's story. If anything, he's he's a bit oddly positioned
3: because he becomes the person who pushes back on the depiction of what a proper mother and father should be because there's this we're basically knee deep in it in this particular section where he he really wants Craig T. Nelson to be a certain type of man like this is what it takes to protect your family and then Mm. he and Taylor and Diane then get into it when she comes across Taylor painting Robbie with war paint as she calls it and having claw marks on the arm and he pushes back on her about like well you need to be ready to do what it takes to protect your family so it's interesting in this very white dominated film to have the only character of color to be the person who's kind of saying, well, maybe you're not a great parent or maybe you need to do mm. a better job of these very traditional gender norms. That yeah. that was the other sort of thing that doesn't sit well with me from a contemporary point of view. It's very much like, this is what it takes to be a man and this is what it takes to be a woman.
4: But then what he ends with, I thought was brilliant. And he, the whole point, I guess, was you, he says, you can't learn by forgetting Mm -hmm. because she's trying to keep her kids happy and but essentially keep herself in denial oh yeah and so his final like i i don't know i guess maybe like i excuse a lot of i don't i don't disagree with what you're saying but i think i excuse a lot of it because essentially he's the one that's like listen stop lying to yourself
3: oh yeah yeah he that's his role in this film and to a lesser extent tangina when she actually fucking shows up Yeah, basically. She shows
2: up for a second and goes away. Yeah, and then just she likes to pop her head up out of holes and just say
1: hi. (laughs) Oh wait, no, did we talk about her knocking at the door? No, No, we're we're not there yet. (laughs) We will
2: because I have that in my notes too. (laughs) God,
1: when it happened this time, rewatching it, I just started laughing, and my boyfriend is like,
4: "What are you laughing at?" I just noticed for the first time how little she's in this film. She really actually. is not here. No. No pun intended. <laughs> Apparently there is an extra scene where she like confronts Kane
2: during the, like, during the, ho- the final house confrontation. And that was cut.
4: Yeah, I, I read that in your notes and I was like, I never knew that and I'm really disappointed now. <laughs> I noticed
1: it this time because they cut to a shot of him walking outside the house and then it just cuts back to Craig T. Nelson and Taylor.
2: Yes, so c- can we cut to Taylor painting Robbie's face? Because this is my queer connection. Mm. Taylor's in the tent. TP Tent. Mm-hmm. It is a TP. Painting Robbie's face. Also, great makeup work. But Diane freaks <laughs> out. Like, freaks the fuck out about this. Yes. And she has a line where he... he Taylor says something... And she goes, but you're not a mother. It is my job as a mother to do everything I can to make sure my children are part of a normal world. And the word "normal" is so triggering to me. Right. Watching this scene, I was like, okay, yes, I know literally what is happening. But me as a as a gay man watching this, I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, the subtext. like I love her, and I know that she means well. But also, there's no harm in letting him try this. Native American makeup. There's no harm in letting him fuck men. I mean, obviously, you know, not, not, not. He <laughs> we went
1: from zero to sixty real not, quick.
3: Yeah, not, not him whoa. as a child. This no, is no, Trace no, but, projecting but, himself into
2: the role of. Taylor. But no, but but did you not have like that kind of a, like a feeling when that that happened in this film? Because right, that's
1: anytime like normalcy is used to mm-hmm. yeah. squash anything else. I'm like, girl. Well, and other except right? that
4: that wasn't the point. Like then she gets taken down a notch right away. So right. it's her flaw. And she accepts it, she ingests it, and she walks back with it. So I didn't, like, leave that scene feeling like, oh, my God, I was just shit on. I feel like it was someone venting what you're saying and then being schooled on it. Yeah. Like, how I just said, he's like, you can't you can't learn by forgetting.
3: Yeah. Well, because this is Diane's arc, right? Like, she wants mm-hmm. to repress the past. She doesn't want to acknowledge Carol Ann's gifts or her own. And she certainly doesn't want some other, and I'm putting other in scare quotes and quotation marks, she doesn't want somebody else to come in and tell her how to do things. And the whole film is really like this. We have talked a lot about how it's the parents who are driving this film. To me, it was 100% Diane. Like there's a a certain amount of Steve, but it really, I think, is her film. Because it's about Mm. her coming to grips with the fact that she can't be complacent. She actually has to acknowledge the past she has to embrace her own gifts and then i mean it's kind of why the end of the film doesn't work for me because then we just revert to steve having all the power but yeah (laughs) anyway sorry not to like crash no that's true it's (laughs) totally
4: true it's it's nice to see it's nice to see it through your eyes as well because i think you guys don't have the sentiment that i have for it so you're able to be more analytical and which is cool well no i uh, trust me trust me I get
2: it. I get where you're coming from, Roman, because we've done this to films that he feels very passionately about from a nostalgia. And then Joe just shits on, like literally, I shit on everyone. Drops <laughs> trout, takes a big steaming pile of shit on the movies that I love. And I'm it's like, true.
4: what's one that you guys totally disagree on?
2: Dr. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh.
3: Okay. So after Diane dresses Dan Taylor and she thinks she has properly schooled him, this is where we get our return of Cain. So the old creeper tries to. He basically arrives with a literal rainstorm in the middle of the day. I loved it. I was totally like, mm-hmm. "Look at this diva just bringing in the e rain clouds with him." Everywhere <laughs> Apparently, he, goes. he
1: inspired storm. <laughs>
3: I loved it. I like this is when I was like, this is why this movie needs more Kane, because he's bringing the drama with him wherever he goes. <laughs> so he sees Carol Ann. She's just caught in the rain. She's stupefied, and it's only when the family realizes that she's not moving they try to bring her back onto the porch. And this old fuck comes up and he wants to shake their hands. And Carolyn's like, "No." And he wants I love to love
1: around. <laughs> yes. Love talking to people.
3: <laughs> uh, his inflection is so good. Like, I, I'm i actually really upset with the fact that, because I just thought it was kind of makeup and that he was a little bit older. I didn't actually realize that he was sick and it's a really, I mean, disappointing to me as an average viewer, but it's, it's very frustrating to know that an actor of this caliber, that this, like, they don't get to make any more movies because I think he's just
1: magnificent right. in this
3: role. Yeah. Yep. He's
1: perfect in this role and it's, it's sad a little bit to have your final role be so villainous? As if, like, this is the thing people are going to remember you for. Oh, and see, you're always I disagree. Be this evil I think this entity. is, like,
3: a, the high point to go out on. Like, people are terrified. Like, people who saw this as children are terrified of you for the rest of your life because you did right. such a right. magnificent role.
2: I, I also think the, the difference here is that he was a theater actor, he was a stage actor. They don't get yeah. the same kind of recognition that film actors do because not everyone has access to them. So. Yeah, I think it's okay. I mean, if my legacy is that I terrified children.
1: (laughs) You know you're doing something wrong.
2: Just around the Austin area, though.
4: I think they gave him good material as well. And the sing-songy stuff was extremely scary. I mean, everything, they call back to every scene in this. The song comes back, like, with the bottle when he's drinking and he starts. I'm
1: realizing this now, that, like, this movie left such an impression on me that anytime I met anyone remotely religious i assume that they were secretly like this
4: like this is to me in my head what all religious people
1: are like wow Terrible. well
4: totally like in the manipulation at the doorway which, which is about to happen when he's walking like of course there's the whole screaming thing that was in the commercials
2: yeah let, let, let's go to this door thing so he comes to the house yeah. and it rains and i actually love the way this scene is lit during the rain and the constant shots of Kane through the screen door, it, yeah. like, distorts his face just enough, coupled mm-hmm. with his gaunt appearance, that it, it is terrifying. And I, I can see how anyone watching this particular scene, even out of context, would be like, what the fuck is going on?
4: Why well, they that had right? the, the you-are-gonna-die scream in the commercials mm-hmm. on television, mm-hmm. and I think that was enough for all of us to have nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just that alone. And then when he pulls back afterwards and is back to his pleasant, like, well, I see you're unconvinced. Like, that is (laughs) so creepy. And as a side note, Tyler, do you want to mention the text messages I would always send you? (laughs) While
1: Roman and I are editing Scream Queen, he's coming over to my office every day with his dog. And I don't have a buzzer. So you just have to text me for me to come downstairs and let you in. And he he won't announce that he's here in a normal text. He'll send me a GIF of Preacher Kane just screaming at the door. Let me in! Yes! <laughs> That's amazing.
2: For, you know, months and months at a time. So Diane's exact line is, haven't I seen you somewhere before? And in my notes, I put, bitch, he's very unique looking and he had your daughter. In the mall yesterday. Oh yeah, it was yesterday. The fact that none of them seem particularly
3: perturbed by him, I get that he doesn't immediately come off as creepy, but like your daughter is clearly afraid of him, and he seems to really want to get
4: into your house. Maybe, but you should that's be a little what bit more that's threatened. what suburban white people do. They're, they're <laughs> especially in California. We're very passive aggressive, and that's the way that we communicate. They'll talk shit behind your back, but never straight to your face. That's a very, it's about re- maintaining pleasantries. He's so, not threatening. He just wants to leave you these copies of the Watchtower. Or like <laughs> when someone's coming up to your driveway, you're not going to be like, what are you doing here? Like that's just not the way the social etiquette of the, of, that those people so as a latchkey kid of the 90s don't i know you from somewhere you know
3: as a latchkey kid of the 90s it was like who is that person coming from five blocks away get the fuck away
4: (laughs) where did you grow up
3: uh i grew up in calgary canada canada
0: Mm.
3: we were warned against americans and also
1: strangers right right so we are the stranger danger era yeah (laughs) <laughs> but in the 80s, we. Yeah, everything was fine. We didn't have that yet.
4: <laughs> the stranger yeah, we was still stuck. we didn't talk back met. to elderly people, and, no. but, but people were coming to kill us in their vans. So. Maybe you should have been. But yeah. just
1: in case you didn't know that this was an evil person, as soon as the dog runs over to him and Barks. runs away, yeah. you were like, oh, okay. Yeah
3: yeah that's that's when the white people know, oh, this person's no good. The right. dog You doesn't always like them. trust
1: a dog who doesn't trust another person exactly. <laughs> it's true,
3: so he's all evil.
2: he hypnotizes Steve,
3: well, kinda, yeah, so Steve almost lets him in, and then of course, Caroline manages to save the family once again by calling out to him, and then at that point, Steve tells. Kane, you gotta go, and that's when Kane freaks out, but then also is just completely fine. I love the switch. I love just the 180, you know what? No, I can turn this off. I'm just going to walk away. I'm fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I wrote in my notes that this is Monty Burns as a person. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, a side note. As a film school nerd, um, when I learned about Dutch angles in film school, mm-hmm. this was... The, the reference I always came back to was Jill Beth Williams in the bathroom of her having flashbacks to the cult. Oh, with dying the dragon in the cave and the, the, um, the, uh, the uneasiness, the world out of kilter. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, okay, I know what a Dutch ankle is now.
4: They did a really good job with that in this movie. I was noticing that this time around because normally it's really heavy-handed, but I was like, oh, this fucking works. With the music, that was all uh, like weird pitch blends when that's happening. It's like the weird church organ that's pitching.
3: I wondered if this was a part where the cutting got a little bit too heavy-handed because this seems way short to me. I thought we were going to get at least thirty seconds of you know Kane dressing down his acolytes and, and them starving and him refusing to let them leave and it's over
4: in five seconds.
1: Right, but it they do this again later on. Yeah.
4: With Tangina. Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah. she gives more of a backstory. So let's move on
1: then. Well oh, before we can I get I did have something okay. <laughs> I like the idea that in that previous scene where Taylor and Joe Beth Williams were talking about what it means to be a mother. And now oh, you're going way back. A similar scene with Kane talking to him, talking to um, Craig T. Nelson about his fear of being um, a father, of not being the masculine energy in the household, and having Taylor come in to fill that manly role and how he's playing upon his fear on that. I thought was really important still to today
3: it's always nice when uh, i mean i think the film does a good job of acknowledging that there's like a side to steve that isn't quite doing what it needs to do and i mean obviously this leads us into a, a very dramatic set piece in which we reveal oh there's some reason that steve can be taken over and it's because he's not as strong as diane but before we get to that we have to talk about this bathroom scene with the- Oh my gosh. right <laughs> so look. Because this is
2: like the set piece. Nothing in this movie had like quite impressed me because the thing the thing that this movie is missing for me, because I feel like the first one, even though it's 30 minutes longer than this movie, I feel like the set pieces are pretty evenly spaced throughout the film. This one doesn't have that for me. And that's not, again, I'm not a big I'm big on compare. Oh, the, the second one doesn't have this. Like, the, the original did this, blah, blah, blah. blah. But- this is the first time where we're like, oh, like, the like where you feel transported back into the world of the first movie. This braces sequence is phenomenal, it is amazing.
4: Oh my god, are you serious right now? <laughs> yeah. You don't That's like so it? Funny. I mean, no, this, I hate no, it, it, it's awful, it was, even at the
1: I, time. It scared me as a kid oh watching it now. I was like, this is really cheesy, first it, of all. Like I don't Robbie even know what to has, do with you. is two. the most underwritten <laughs> character in this whole movie. We have movie. to be contrary.
4: <laughs> <laughs> he
1: wants to be a man, so like suddenly he's gonna try shaving now and he's gargling mouthwash like he's going on a date. Like what is happening?
3: Okay. The context is immaterial. We need to talk about the special
2: effects.
4: <laughs> but I just I feel like this scene in particular is what gave the whole movie a bad rap.
2: Really? Overall. I it's, no.
4: It is to me <laughs> the, now. Now, wait a second. I think it looks good. They executed it great. Okay. Okay. But I feel like it's just like the pair, the, parakeet scene from Freddy's Revenge uh, no, all over again. No, no, where I'm like, no, why, dare you, why sir? the fuck are his braces, like, how can I not laugh when the braces are coming out? Like, it's okay. just so
2: ridiculous to you?
4: I, I, no, I, I think they're trying to tap into a child, tr- because no one likes having
2: braces. Like, Yeah, no, it makes sense, it makes sense, I get it. I had braces for three years, and I fucking hated them, and watching this yeah. scene transported me back, because I got braces late in life, because I didn't lose my first mm. baby teeth so I was, like, in third grade, and I didn't, like, lose all my permanent teeth, uh, baby teeth until I was, like a junior in high school so i got my braces when i was a f- the summer after my freshman year of high school so my sophomore junior and most of my senior year of high school i had braces and i fucking i'm hate sorry. it. i know Post-pictures. Post-pictures. I, I really bloomed when i turned 18 it was great
4: i wanted braces Aww. in the third grade so bad well what? this this scene
2: transported yeah. me back to being in high school and it terrified me i mean not
4: i mean it doesn't really terrify me but it's great and it excited you to watch this scene. Like you weren't taken out of the movie, you were pulled in. Right? Yes, this is a jolt of energy that I okay. needed
2: from the film that I wasn't getting before. And I get I okay. I understand why it doesn't work for you because you're you're very much into the movie that you that I didn't really care about seeing.
4: I liked the moody ambience and the slow like the psychological terror. Stuff. Yeah, and this preacher coming out and mm-hmm. it's this like mental war. And then you've got these fucking braces coming out. <laughs> but but to be fair, I was watching the documentary and um, the actor Robbie was saying how originally the scene was written that he was attacked by a swarm of bees within uh, the house, but he's allergic to him. So they had to rewrite it and they made it braces, which I on paper sounds like it makes sense. My only qualm with this scene is that it's resolved
2: too easily. Like he is mummified in this metal
1: and they just pull him <laughs> down
2: and it's fine. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Right, this is the first part of the film where it feels like a retread of the scares from the first one. Like, this is, like, mirroring the the face ripping in the bathroom mirror of oh, Poltergeist right. 1. Yeah. Mixed
2: with uh, Robbie's own, like, scary tree well, we, moment. Well, because we get a couple jump scares, though, uh, with the mirror, with the medicine cabinet mirror of, like, the, the
4: corpses in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Oh, I
1: love those. Oh, it, well, do, also, do
4: we all agree that, like, the zombies and skeletons look pretty fabulous in this? They yes, do. I, yeah. I agree, mm-hmm. for sure.
3: Yeah, I don't disagree with you, Trace, because I do think that this is a little too easily resolved. And the fact that, like, no one has any residual injuries from the fact that they basically plugged all of their bodies into a current. But I was just, it was so unexpected for to me, like when the braces start to attack him, I thought, oh, this is a little cheesy. But then when you actually <laughs> see the parents run into the bathroom and he looks like he is just being cocooned up into the corner, it was so unexpected.
2: Do you know what it reminds me? It's video y hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. appropriately body yeah. horror. Like, it, yeah, it's a very body horror thing that I was like, oh, this is what I'm missing. This is like an injection of adrenaline that I'm mm. missing from this movie.
4: I do remember seeing it as a kid. Thinking it was silly, but still being a little scared because it had this buried alive feel to it mm-hmm. that seemed really, like, a pr- like just scary, you know? Yeah. Because you see, like, his whole head is covered and his eye is freaking out. Everything about it was done well. Yeah, you just don't like the uh, the idea of it. Like, well, or, or it
2: silly. He, he likes the idea but not it's the final th- not the final result, not the execution of it.
4: Right. It it was it was it was silly. I mean, I feel like I feel like they it, this is there's a few key moments in this movie that really hammer home the cheesiness of it where and, and this was one of those moments. Right.
2: Well, so th- th- this is really cuz this is the home stretch of the movie. Like this is like the last 20 minutes. Well, mm. yes. no. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Damn it. Uh, well, so because th- th- they go downstairs, he sits on the chair and he gets farted out of the chair somehow <laughs> by Kane. <laughs> no, you're you are not yeah. right at all, sir.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I, yes no, pers- I
2: have I have my notes. The sink breaks and the ghosts are laughing, and then Steve gets blown off the chair, and that's when we get the, you can't, keep her! I'm not dead. Mm -hmm.
1: right like what does that line even mean i don't don't know (laughs) (laughs) it seems like there should be four other lines in between that (laughs) what's there are two
3: lines of dialogue that don't have anything to do with one another but they're both factually correct it's that you can't keep her because we're told by taylor that kane wants Caroline. shocking no one and also, Cain is not actually dead, because he has transgressed beyond being a mere spirit. He is now the great
2: beast. All right, so we get this. And then, I think, in the next scene, Tangina shows up. Yeah, so Steve Tangina. goes. Steve goes to the desert with Taylor so that
3: they can have a sweat, and Taylor can put a spirit in him, and then Tangina shows up so that she can berate
2: Diane for not exal- for not acknowledging her spiritualist powers. This scene, this scene. All right, so there's a knocking on the door, and it's supposed to be really suspenseful. <laughs> and, and and Diane goes to the door. She opens it, and the the screens there, and she's like, "What? There's no one here." And then you just get fucking Zelda Rubenstein. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh <hi. laughs> For like a weird jump scare. <laughs> love it. I it love was it. it was really good though. It's a I, I, joke. Wait, so this is our big exposition scene though, where Tangina's like, "Look at the pictures and tell me what you feel." This is this is Reuben <laughs> yeah, Tell me what you feel. This it's is her, her big only moment. scene in this movie. Like, yeah she's in the yeah. beginning when she's like, "Hi, Taylor," and then she's in the end when she's like, "Hi, Freelings Cave," but that's about it. Yep. This is her acting <laughs> scene. And I i might be wrong, but I think she was nominated for a Razzie for this movie. Oh.
4: What? Yes. Did we even yes. have them then?
2: Yes, we you did. You
4: sure did. Uh, yeah, I'll look two it two up. Two Y'all two can keep
2: talking. We get that, now okay. tell me what you feel line.
1: My, My favorite line of this whole movie. <laughs> I
2: mean... That's a low bar if that is your top. Your minus. daughter yeah, is highly
1: <laughs> your... clairvoyant, as mine was is, your
2: mother.
4: Mine is I'm not your mother, lady. <laughs> this movie
2: was nominated for one Golden Raspberry Award, and it was Zelda Rubinstein for Worst Supporting Actress. <laughs> oh, God.
4: That's cruel. <laughs> It is cool because, I don't know, like, they didn't really give her much. No, No. she has nothing to do with this movie.
3: It's proof that the Razzies have been going after low-hanging fruit for 30 years. It's whatever
2: gives them the most publicity. Like, that's it. They're worst. They're ambulance chasers. So, then we cut to Tequila.
1: Oh, wait, no. There's the shot in between the end of this scene where Harry Kane is outside. Where he just walks by. And you can tell that there should be more to this scene.
3: Oh, yeah. Mm. So you think this is when the confrontation between the right. two of them would have happened, but it was cut.
1: Right. Yeah, Because I had read that in your
4: notes before I watched it again, and then I saw this extra shot of him.
3: And I you, did he, notice
4: that. He's looking at the house over his shoulder as he's walking close, and then that's it. And it's right. as they're talking about it. So it's like he's circling them, and then nothing happens from that. I, yeah, that's Yes.
2: True, no, you're, you're correct. And apparently Rubenstein was... Angry because she thought it was one of her best scenes, and like, it's her <laughs> it's one of her only hates. scenes. <laughs> yeah, well, right. Which, ne- well, honestly, she was probably like, I wouldn't have gotten that Razzie nom had you kept this scene in. Right. Well, also, <laughs> yeah. I feel
4: like we kind of need that. We do. You know? we- like, she's she. Sh- that would have been the first time she got to really go face to face because he knows she was responsible for helping them get the girl back from the first one. Right. So the two of them need a confrontation. Yeah, because yeah. we
3: never get that in this fucking movie. No. Yeah. Okay, so we're up to the big possession scene. How oh does Kane manage to get How does he take the, worm? the form of a
2: boozy worm? <laughs> um what? magic.
4: Screenwriting yeah, magic. <laughs> Filmmaking. Can, can can we just can we establish something from the get-go? Absolutely He's magic. What's your what's your what's your feeling of this scene overall? Like, just the part where he's drinking or, like, the the whole sexual assault? This whole uh, bottle monster scene. Okay, this is great. This rape thing is a
2: bit awkward. It goes on for a long time. It, It does. It goes on for a long time. Granted, she... Diane is very smart about all of this. Like, I think it plays very well for her. I just... Again, I don't really need the rape in my family film, but... The second he vomits up this thing, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: And the monster?
2: Oh, the monster is great.
3: Which is hilarious that Geiger was so unenthused when he saw the final result. I'm like, a yep. bitch. Maybe get on a plane and go and supervise your own work instead <laughs> of delegating. But also, you should have
4: watched the documentary. It was all about him finally getting on a plane and leaving his cat Jesus to go Christ. see this. <gasps>
1: The same cat from Aliens. I
3: want to become a Geiger. Like, I aspire to be a Geiger where I am so in demand, but I'm such a recluse that I can just be like, no, I'm sending an underling, but I would also like to get paid a lot. Your clock is ticking, though.
4: <laughs> he actually had... So there was um, Screaming screaming George, screaming Mad George was one of the uh, cast... Uh, not cast. He was one of the, the mold people for the... Effects for this. He was the same guy that did the Dream Master from Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, right. Good. Okay. And there was a, a bunch of really, really talented effects people working on this, and Giger would not come uh, over the water. Uh. He would send somebody there to kind of oversee for him. Yeah. And so... He liked the way this stuff looked for the most part. He was also particular about the way that it was shot. The only thing that he said he had a problem with with this bottle monster scene was that he felt that the monster moved a little too fast because it wouldn't have been it would have been more lumbering. Oh, and see, I I like how quickly it squiggles away. I agree. I think it's super scary that way. It's the kind of shit you don't want under your bed. It
3: reminds me of the merman from Cabin in the Woods.
4: Oh, totally.
1: Yeah. Okay, it reminded me of the remake of Dawn of the Dead, where you have that amputee. Oh yeah, 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 crawling on the ceiling, yes, yes, and yes, yes, dropping yes. down on them. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay,
3: yeah. I, I appreciated that this was an actual amputee actor that they cast yeah. yeah. as
2: well. It, it, like I said at the top of the episode, it is a triple amputee who there lost both legs, an arm, and an eye while serving in the Vietnam War. There we
4: go. And then he made a career in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. He did. It's fabulous. Thank you for your service. I, I know you don't like the rape aspect of this, but I thought the entire scene was fabulous. And, you know, they play it well.
2: I think we've talked so much about rape on this particular podcast that I'm like, Oh, Tr- Trace is just done with rape, everybody. Can we please get a little <laughs> less rape in our movies? <laughs> Again, this is a major studio film for families, even though it's PG-13, with a attempted rape scene.
4: Well, it was calling back to the original scene where they're being lovey in the bedroom mm-hmm. and he's like singing that song to her and she's like, it's not going to work because cookie crumbled or whatever. She's talking about his <laughs> ex-girlfriend. carnage. It didn't feel, it felt like it was the monster exploiting their love. Like, I wasn't sitting there ever thinking he was going to do anything. It felt like a mind manipulation to me. But Mm. maybe I was paying too much attention. You know, maybe you're not supposed to. This is
1: definitely the most upsetting scene in the film. Yes, absolutely. And it feels like a very real life family trauma that the writers are maybe... Dealing with Mm -hmm. in real time. And I feel like the two leads are selling this so completely. I am terrified of Craig Tig Nelson. I am terrified for Joe Beth Williams. And I just want them. And Carol
4: Ann heard them.
1: Right. That's the most upsetting part of this. Even the part where it's like
3: she didn't want you didn't want a second kid, and you're just like, "Oh fuck, you wish she the was
1: family never born. Right? All this would go away if you never had her. It's well, like,
2: and and, and there are things of this scene, like um, the, the bit where she's like, "Oh, you found your happiness in the bottle, didn't you?" Like that that abrupt confrontation of your spouse. And I, I mean, I've had things in my life where I'm like, "Oh, I'm upset by something my husband did," but I I, I don't want to say anything because I'm like, "Oh, like I'm being silly, I'm being dumb." And so like, and I work on this in therapy where I'm like, I need to, I need to be comfortable saying this upsets me or this bothers me. And so, I mean, again, I've never, I haven't been raped, um, but watching this scene, even just seeing her, this is before the rape starts, but just seeing her confront him about, oh, you're clearly wasted <laughs> mm-hmm. and yeah. I am disregarding you. It, it hit home for me a little bit where I was like, right. oh, like I, I, that's something I'm working towards being comfortable and he's
1: taunting her and saying like I'm so smart I can read your thoughts I know what you're thinking like that super uncomfortable and I've you know yeah there's it hit it hit too close to home
3: a little bit yeah there's an emotional vulnerability to this scene to me this is actually the climax of the film I, I agree I I think and I don't know if I misread this somewhere, but I thought that this actually was the intended original ending of the film, and then they tack on the other side bit. But to me, like this, this is the crux. The whole film is about the family sticking together, and if they can, then they will succeed through, they will find a way through this danger. And this is where you start to see the fractures, where the truth about how the family is not functioning and the distance between husband and wife, which we have repeatedly addressed is like husbands need to be this way. Wives need to be this way. Like it all crumbles like a cookie in this scene. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you've also got this really literal threat to the children. Like they can't find the children they've gone missing. They're in danger from these inanimate objects and, I just thought, you know what, this is hugely compelling as a viewer, and I was actually really disappointed when the movie then continues to do like special effects extravaganza.
4: Well, we'll get there. Yeah, but hey, that's my. But line. for this, <laughs> the 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 effects of this, like just even just coming out of his mouth, like looked mm. horrifying. Mm-hmm. Oh my it, god, and you, the way it reminded it grows. me of the
1: Great, just the the thickness of yeah. it.
2: Yeah. Well, apparently he ha- he hated doing this because they had to take the shot so many times. And he was like, I don't want this thing in my mouth anymore. <laughs> ah, it's oh, wow. the title of Trace's sex tape. Yeah. No, I want everything in my mouth. <laughs> oh, right. Love... Sorry. The reverse title. Yeah.
1: Right. There goes your OnlyFans account. Oh, God damn
2: yeah. it. So yeah, this thing is vomited up. They run around
3: for a bit. It kind of locks and... them out of the bathroom. And then when they get in, it's kind of anticlimactic like they follow it through the bathroom they see a trail and then they go out into the hall and the thing just gets sucked up into a portal they don't even have to do anything
2: <laughs> no but then they go to the garage and we get this oh wait, no wait whoa whoa slow it down do you want oh, to talk about yeah, yeah. my favorite
1: shot happens after the creature runs away they run down to the Little family room. Robbie's hiding and in the then closet. Joe Beth Williams gets gets thrown through a door, and she goes, "Woo,
3: yeah. yeah, backwards." <laughs> well, she she goes through it, and then the door shuts, so and funny. then he
4: it's gets pushed so through it. So I do want to say something though. This scene, this scene where she, they're running around trying to find the kids. Mm-hmm. I I got bored I, here, man. Did oh, you? No, I thought it was so good. Yeah. I love the scene.
1: I love the way that it switches to
4: like really long takes,
1: and you see Joe Beth Williams looking for the kids. There's yeah a tension
4: in these scenes. Okay, um, yeah, like when the monsters on the on the I don't know the big huge monster. It's just like a giant foot or something from the ceiling, <laughs> the, like that. I didn't like that much. I liked seeing the legless creature before it. Yes. Oh, agree into that yeah. scene. And then that thing, I'm like, okay, this is very like uh, Lovecraft, and mm-hmm. I get it. Mm-hmm. But he blows the smoke at it, and it goes away. And then they're then when they're trying to find the kids in the empty house is when I'm back in there again. I'm like, right. I love That's this. Fun. I love. That. And, and then they they can't find Carol Ann, and you're like, fuck this again. Yeah, she's you gone know? again.
3: No, nope, she's just in the, the garage.
4: <laughs> she's in the garage. She's in the car, and the panic. So this is another one of those scenes, I assume you have something to say about this scene, that reminds me of, like, the braces hold scene, the fuck! Hold the fuck up.
2: <laughs> I feel like you're judging us preemptively about what we're going <laughs> to no, no, think No, no, no.
4: I these. actually was
2: going to agree with what you're going to say. About how stupid the floating chainsaw is? Yeah.
1: I think it's terrible, but I also wish this movie was in 3D at this moment.
2: No, oh, I, yeah. I agree. I, I think the effects are okay in this. Yeah, they weren't that great. It wasn't great. But I think in 1986, maybe it looked okay. No, it when didn't. the
1: chainsaw comes to the roof of the car, then it's awesome. Yeah, because exactly. it actually yes.
2: looks oh God, real that's practical that. again. It, it's not floating. It's just on a that. Yeah, screen. it's just that shot. That shot of the chainsaw being picked up from the tool table and like floating towards the car. That's the one that it's like.
4: Oh, we didn't even need the chainsaw. You know what I mean? Like, it was corny. I
2: wrote in my notes, Texas Chainsaw homage, because obvious.
4: But it would have the made movie. more
2: sense if that wasn't the first movie, given who the director was.
4: Right. On paper. Right. So, well, <laughs> what I no. wrote is the real hero of this whole movie is E-Buzz. Yeah.
2: Yes. Did you see
4: that shot of e like, kicking ass, all terrified? Like, he's Saves the only the one not running. <laughs> he grabbed that tube. Like, we didn't need the chainsaw. Um, The chains wrapped around while they're trying to get out was yeah. kind of cool enough. The dog just but... bites
2: that wire. like It is insane.
4: Yeah, he was pissed. He was like, he was a hero. I like mm-hmm. him.
3: I do like the shot where the entire family is freaking out. Like, the camera's through the windshield. Everybody's freaking yes. out because I think at that point the chainsaw is nearly on the roof or it's on the hood. And they're, they're very panicky. And you just see the dog kind of looking very nonplussed, like... Don't That's worry, <laughs> I I almost I got, got electrocuted this. and I'm fine.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's plenty of people on the internet that like are on Team E Buzz. I looked at oh, a hundred percent. That dog is a hero. Give yeah. he it, it absolutely. One. The um, internet
1: is always Team Dog. Come on,
2: very so dog. <laughs> they escape. Yeah, they drive away. The car is
3: in tatters, but they decide, okay, we need to tackle this thing head on. So Wait. they head to their original neighborhood.
2: Wait, but so they live in Arizona, and they drive to California. Is that far? Do they, or is it just... I thought the film was just shot in Arizona.
4: When I was a kid in California, my grandparents lived in Arizona. So we would take road trips over there all the time. That shit took like 14 hours. Oof so, it, so it, it's it says a good point it's a mean. movie just Wait, go with it. in the wikipedia plot summary
2: it says they have relocated to phoenix arizona okay yeah so Which phoenix to wherever cuesta verde is in whatever fucking town they're in oh it's orange county it, it, it's phoenix arizona to orange county
4: oh my god that's like a day and a half drive. oh my god (laughs) without without stopping without stopping
3: i'm like they're already freaked out and he's also maybe still drunk
1: oh right (laughs) at this point we all are
3: well he did vomit admittedly
2: he did vomit a a giant worm (laughs) worm. soaked in booze (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right so they take this day and a half drive to orange county yeah Yep.
3: And Tangina is waiting for them.
2: Wait, th- yes, that was, so so they're like, "Oh, this is our old house." Boom, 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 and then the lights turn on, and they all get a jump scare, and then Tangina is like, "Ha!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were coming, but, and I had to be but
2: here." No, and
4: Joe Beth Williams's line is, "Oh, Tangina, thank God." So, uh, I think that under it would have been really cool. I I like the ending. No, 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 wait. I like the way it looks. I know you probably aren't big on that i like that it goes like you want to direct off- films <laughs> wow <Yeah>. wow <laughs> whoa hey but here's the thing i like movies that go off the rails
3: <laughs> i thought you're just gonna put a full a full pause like a period. i like movies that,
4: that go off the rails <laughs> okay.
3: like you like trash
4: the, the manitou oh um, yes i love that movie where you're just like what the fuck Hellraiser two, the Manitou, even um, Invitation to Hell, Wes Craven's Invitation. Oh, I know that one. Where the the ending is just like what the fuck? What? (laughs) Wait, have you all not seen the Manitou? Don't know the Manitou.
1: Add it to your list immediately. It's like the
4: Native American Exorcist in a way. It's not nearly that good, but like it's it's those a late seventies movie that's exploiting. Oh, of course, with Tony
1: Curtis. Oh no.
4: But it has yes. this really psychedelic ending to it. So right. I like that they went to the other side. I like in Hellraiser 2 where we spend most of the time in fucking hell. You know, oh, like, y- it's kind of cool. It had a lot of potential. But this movie falls really flat and I just got super bored. Like all this hugging mm-hmm. and swells of music. and <laughs> It feels so tacked on. Yeah, it does feel like I either on. needed to spend
3: more time on this and more time in the other side or maybe just not do it at all
2: well so when they get into the cave I wrote my notes Diane cries and shit because of all the corpses <laughs> right yeah she's
1: the empath she feels all <laughs> oh my god these people they they
2: die oh, he dragged them down here yeah and they die oh that's it <laughs> <laughs> A dramatic you Save reason. it for your
1: OnlyFans, okay? Save it. Save it. <laughs> Cute.
2: But
3: Taylor's also there. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. Wait. No, we yeah, we they... have to get... So we have to have Kane suck Diane and Caroline through a vortex first. Which
1: comes out of nowhere. It's like they're in there for a second and then gone. It's
3: basically the surprise bitch of 80s movies. like
4: <laughs> Surprise bitch. The powers
3: <laughs> of Kane...
4: <laughs> <laughs> Surpass my strong hands I think that was my favorite thing I've heard tonight
3: <laughs> oh fuck Yeah, so as soon as as Diane and Carol Ann are out of the picture, then it's like, oh, and Taylor is also sitting over here just casually. Like, I half expected him to pull out a fucking wiener and or marshmallows and just be like, I've been here for days.
2: Right. I mean, they literally turn a corner and they're like, oh, Taylor, he doesn't pull a
0: hat
2: like Tangina, but he's like poking a stick over a fire like, hello, I heard y'all had some problems at your house. 16 hours away from here, but I was here waiting for you. Like, no shit, Taylor. With no car. Where the fuck you With been? no car. He
4: walked. Oh, yeah, how do he get there? He walked. How did
2: he Teleportation. Get there? Oh. No, Teleport. he astral projected, like, Rebecca Ferguson and
4: Dr. Sleep. Yeah.
1: In her Kate Hudson Fabletics. Absolutely.
4: Yes. Wait, so l- this is just dawning on me. Where? Oh, no, they're hugging Tangina when they get out. She's there. Yeah. But Well, apparently she disappears for he... a bit, but yeah, she comes back.
2: So, okay. I will confess. So, I, I clocked the time on this, and I was like, "There are eight minutes left in this movie, and we have a whole climax to get through." Mm-hmm. And also, there are five minutes of credit, so there's actually three minutes left of this movie. <laughs> oh yeah,
3: here let me let me run this down for you. So basically, he tells them jump in the fire. They do that. They find the girls. They hug. Kane immediately grabs Carol Ann so then uh Taylor throws a a spear through the fire coach throws it through Kane Kane's dead Carol Ann wanders off to the other side for no good reason she's delivered back by grandma but, but, and then but, they but come wait, out. wait
2: wait 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 there's an effect of her of Carol Ann decaying that actually is really good
4: it is really it. good, right? So good. Yeah,
2: it, it, yeah. it looks great. But yes, then we have Ghost
3: Grandma. Ghost Grandma. She comes out in full white angel regalia.
1: With that halo mm-hmm. lighting. Like she just came out of Xanadu oh, singing ELO. Yes to the
2: Xanadu reference because I was going to make one. I always hated that part. It is the worst. One of the worst things I've ever seen on film. And... I, I'm <laughs> That's gonna. That's a gonna bit You haven't
1: seen enough movies.
2: You haven't I seen have the Yeah, too. I don't think
4: it's a word. It's 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 lame. I'm gonna say it's, something controversial. So yeah.
2: for the, first <laughs> the time remake ever. of Poltergeist is not a good movie. That's not controversial. <laughs> no, no, no. I, wait, wait.
1: I I'm gonna disagree wait, wait. with
2: that. It, it, I think it's a serviceable film. It's not great. It's not terrible. It's just kind of there. It exists in its own space. But here's the thing. That movie does sh- so. When the mom Rosemary DeWitt has to go after Caroline, like and like, into the other side, it shows it, and I think it's actually a really cool representation of the other side. It looks better. I mean, effects aside, the concept of it looks better in that movie mm-hmm. than it does in this movie. This is like a weird open. This... The other side in this movie looks like heaven already That's the weird thing to me, well,
3: yeah, they come out of a white light, and that's the only way to distinguish the other side from apparently
2: heaven yes yeah exactly
3: it 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 feels like a failure to think through like, oh no, we reference the other side in the title. We need to have the other side, but oh yeah. wait, we don't have the budget or the time. What can you <laughs> deliver in an afternoon?
4: I'm sure that the title came last. Oh yeah. I don't think they were trying I don't think they were trying to do that, like yeah. live up to what they promised. But So you think the original I, working it, title yeah.
3: was Poltergeist Two Colon, semicolon?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poltergeist like, two
2: colon. <laughs> Poltergeist to the streets.
4: <laughs> this is probably just their back. But I do oh, God, but right? this seems like what happened so here's the thing about the eighties that a lot of people
2: Educate us.
4: I'll try so by the end of the 80s like we all know slashers and all that kind of stuff like horror of that caliber was sort of dying out but the reason is is because they became so corporate and people had like all too many hands in the pot and everyone's like this is the way it's got to be you got to throw this on there to make people happy right and viewers were like I'm not that dumb (laughs) I know that you're trying to like you're just trying to throw everything that you think I already want in here and so these movies aren't people weren't leaving the theater with any sort of attachment to what they just saw. The authentic authenticity was dying. And in this case, it's like, why did you throw all that shit in there at the end? Like calling it, claiming it's going to be this big thing. And they just flew through heaven for two and a half minutes with lots of hugging. It's just dumb.
2: It's two and a half minutes. And there is an image of when Carolyn is sent back to them from ghost grandma. And it is the stupidest thing. Like... Stupidest. It's very bad. And I don't know what they were thinking, but yes, apparently this climax was a lot longer than two and a half minutes. And I'm not dying to see what the original cut of this movie was, but I'm mighty intrigued about it.
4: I think if they actually developed more shit in those underground caves, Mm -hmm. it would have been really cool. Like, you're being trapped in all these... Like, ghost zombie skeleton things are kind of cornering you. I did
3: think they were going to come back. Like, I thought they were going to become alive. I didn't realize we were going to literally transgress into another plane of existence. Right.
1: I wanted all the skeletons to come alive and then turn into vacuum hoses again. Like, that would have been perfect. But I think
3: that's the problem, is they were too worried that it would be a repeat of the original, right? Maybe? I don't know.
2: Well, I mean, that goes back to what I'm saying, though. I mean, like... While I don't think it's wholly successful, this movie does try something different, which I appreciate. Yeah. Like, it's it's tricky because this ending just sort of woofs it so bad.
3: It does. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And it... I think the other thing to me is that this feels... Correct me if you feel differently. It feels very religious to me. Like... It's it's heavy handed in terms of the focus on the family.
2: Stop. No, you stop. (laughs) No, 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 no. Y'all, no, I'm going to bring this up. So I, I found this out last night. Joe didn't watch Poltergeist until about eight years ago, 2012. So and the first movie is kind of the same way. That doesn't bother me, like like the religious aspect, like that that's just part that comes with the trade of this, you know. Okay, so why did
3: you need to cut me off because I was making a point? Well, because <laughs> because, Ooh. because
2: you, Tyler, it's like closet, me and you. It is. When, when, know, when right? you told, I'm like Joe. No, no, because he seemed less than enthused <laughs> yeah. about the first one. He was like, it was good, it wasn't very scary, but it was fine. But like, what that's you're completely literally not what I said, and don't put words in my mouth. I'm sorry 100% I,
3: I like the original Poltergeist I think it's a great film oh
2: that not not the vibe that I got last night oh over a DM come on girl yeah you said <sighs> it's. you said I think and I quote it's okay it's not very
3: scary though yeah I that doesn't mean I think it's a bad movie and that has nothing to do with the fact that I think this film has a weird religious vibe at the end of it but the first one does too Okay, but we're not talking about. I didn't about really
4: catch. I didn't really catch the religious vibe from the first one. It just seemed like an otherworldly plane to me. D- maybe I haven't. Maybe I don't. Well, remember
2: may- maybe this comes from. The, sorry, Joe. I, I promise you can finish your, sit, your your thought process. I promise. But maybe, maybe we're all pulling from this from our own childhoods and religious upbringing. Oh, I mean, I
3: think that always ends up informing things like if there's a nostalgic element, but also, yeah, I mean, if you have religious inklings, it's going to inform the way you read films.
2: I apologize. Hmm.
3: Continue your statement. No, I think the the big thing is, is that if the original ending, like I'm, I envisioned the original ending of this was them literally driving away into the night, but I could see that not hitting people hard enough on the thematic element about how the family needs to come together. So hmm. this idea of a visual representation of a family coming together in this, vaguely religious afterlifey kind of world and they have a big group hug where they have you know the family literally comes together at the end of the film yeah. and even you know oh and even grandma's over here in the corner it just felt very yeah. okay so like the most important thing the message of this film is family's got to stick together and also they should have a mother and a father and two children and maybe a grandmother on the side
4: and the dog waiting in the car yeah yeah it it, i remember even at the time that we it seemed super cheesy like in a way that was not what it wasn't good we didn't like that and i was a kid and i but we had like that's that is i think the part that people responded to the strongest in And that was what they had the most aversion to was the fact that it just seemed like you're just feeding me bullshit because, like, this whole, like, Disney family movie thing was, like, the newest Mm -hmm. trend. You know, it it was. Let's feel good. I guess there is. Yeah. The feel good stuff is not what you want in a horror movie. Not not like that. Yeah. You know. It's
3: just, it's a tricky thing, right? Like, this film is walking a very fine line. It's trying to be scary, but it's also
2: trying to be appropriate for families. I think you could have that vibe, but you have to earn it. And I don't really think this movie earns it. It feels, the, the tonal shift is very abrupt to me.
3: Is there, like, a particular place you feel? Or is it, like, there's family stuff and then there's scare stuff?
2: I don't, honestly, the whole other side bit just seems so treaty. Triacly? Treacly? Triacly? Trickly. Um yeah. That, it took me out of the movie. I couldn't enjoy what I was watching at all during the entire sequence. And it's not even because the effects were bad. It was just even like the motions. It was like, because I feel like they were flapping their arms at one point as if they were trying to fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a little Peter Pan there. Right. right. Yes. It, yeah. it was very dumb. It, it, it doesn't work for me.
1: It's an under... Defined world. They don't know how to navigate through it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm looking yeah. at half the time. It looks just like ink blots dripping in a fish tank. See, and that's. And there's this shit monster that looks
4: like, you know. I feel like if you're going to do bowel. this, it's okay. Go crazy with it. But don't give me stupid, shallow lines like, Carol come back from the light. Like, well, don't, don't but, talk. But again, like
2: that. though, that's kind of what the first movie does too. But it works for me in that movie and I can't really explain why it doesn't work in this movie for me.
4: But the but the other movie left all of it up to your imagination. Yeah, because we never saw saw see the other very side. Very little right? in that one. Like yeah. it's really saw TV. some smoke
1: yeah. and a strobe light and a rope right. and it was up yeah. to you to make it work. Right.
4: That, makes yeah, sense. that was it. Yeah. And so there was people screaming because they were like, I don't know what I'm looking at and my kid's falling into a hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, crazy shit. So I don't know. I feel like this one was promising you this whole other side that we never really got because it wasn't scary there. No. It was cluttered and filled with saccharine that we didn't need, you know? Yeah.
1: Okay, so if they had cut out this last act and you don't get the other side, what do you call Poltergeist 2?
2: Poltergeist 2. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, like, you have to think about it, like, Poltergeist 2 colon,
2: add your title. Kane's Revenge. No, not that. (laughs) Eh, not Um, bad. Cain Tastic, mm-hmm. <laughs> Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane. <laughs> oh my God! Stupid.
1: don't don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. <laughs>
2: no, it, what? <laughs> I, I, I'm not good at this. I'm done. Yeah, I mean it's been Eba's, two hours. Eba's Roman, you're the super fan. The fuck are you doing?
4: I don't know. I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> I I I definitely like. I love this movie, but I was telling Tyler. Earlier, that I'm I'm weird. Like I don't usually like the third act of most movies. Mm. I'm kind of especially if it's supposed to be some big thing. I'm usually kind of like okay, the chase is on. I tend to like Wes Craven's third acts for some reason. I just think that Wes Craven does third acts really well. That I'm I'm like engaged in them. I was watching Shocker, which is a very problematic movie in itself, the other night but I don't think it sucks. I think there's more that outweighs the bad in that, but forgetting about that, the finals act. That's so crazy. I'm watching it. Like most of the, like poltergeist 2 third act. I don't care anymore. I like the atmosphere that came before. I like the creepy man walking through the yard. Mm-hmm. I like all that stuff. That is like a creeping terror in real life. Um, and, and I, yeah, it just didn't work here. We didn't need it at all.
3: I think it loses something by having to go back to the ostentatious special effects whereas I mean, I'm I'm going to repeat myself and I'll I'll leave my summary of the film as this. I think when Kane is around, it's a smaller, more psychological, more Like character-driven film and that's the stuff where i think craig t nelson and joe beth williams are doing really great work and it's really more about the family and the dynamics and that's why i think the film benefit would have benefited from ending after the worm slug and the car and just the drive away because i think that would have put a pin in all of that
2: but that's the thing though Mm. it would as much as i would have liked that I don't think it would have satisfied audiences. No, the, the critique would have been it's just like the first movie. So mm, yeah. I feel like yeah. they felt and I appreciate that thought of like, oh, we need to do something right. else.
1: Right. <laughs> well, I mean, the first movie has that fake ending in it as well. Mm-hmm. And then it it goes and devours the whole house. Like you have to one up it. Like right. it being a sequel, you have to deliver more than what you had the first time. And that was a tall order.
2: In the first movie, when they were like, oh, it's all good, and then it starts happening again, and you get another 20 minutes. So the first movie mm. ends when this one does, but then it adds another 20 minutes. So the sequel makes the same mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it works in the first movie. It doesn't, for me, work in this
4: one. Right. I wish that they had just gone to the other side, and they would have really committed to it. Made you know, that like, shit moved scary. in. Like,
1: bring some furniture. Right. Yeah. Get
4: happy. Like, let's have the cave. Like, go, like... I know, for instance, totally different movie, but Goonies, like we mentioned, like they spend the whole movie Mm -hmm. in Goonieland. You know what I mean? Like they're having an adventure. That's kind of what you expect from the other side, which we don't get. Now, they could have had all the cheesy effects they wanted if they had really developed that other side. People might have liked it. You know,
3: I couldn't help but think of Insidious and what they did with their final act and thinking about how that was kind of what the other side should have been.
2: You are, you are right. Here's the thing. The, the, the quote unquote problem people have with that movie, because I think the last act of Insidious is amazing. Is that Insidious, the last act looks like a stage play where it's like, Oh, you're on a stage and it's very low tech. It's not, it's not big enough. Yeah. And but that's why I like that third act, whereas this one, it's so obviously just fucking bad effects. Yeah, it's them hanging yeah. in front of the screen and they, yeah. yeah. On wires, especially clearly on wires.
4: Especially after we've seen such amazing shit before. Mm-hmm. Yes. Even the braces looked it amazing. It looks way better mm-hmm. than this, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. And so, yeah, Insidious is a better movie than this, in my opinion. <laughs> Goonies um, is a better movie than this. I love Insidious. <laughs>
4: I love Insidious too, but
2: y'all y'all aren't patrons. But I named Insidious my oh I was, and then I ran out of money, that's... and I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you have a movie out, but that's fine, <laughs> right? Um, right, and it doesn't pay as much <laughs> as you. <think> it does. <laughs> anyway, no, but no, I, I named Insidious my my favorite horror film of the decade of the 2010s because it it, quality wise it may not be but i think it it did more it was more innovative than so many horror films that i saw in 20 in the 2010s
1: yeah was that 2010 2011
2: 11 11
1: yeah okay
4: i loved i loved insidious i love the ending i think poltergeist 2 is a much more interesting movie to me throughout but had they used an insidious ending i think it would have been better i I get a lot more Yeah.
2: Again, I don't hate this movie. I think it's a fine movie. I do think it's a bit of a cash grab, but I'm also aware of people's connection to this film growing up because I wouldn't want people to shit on the things that I liked as a kid.
4: Well, you also just have to remember, if we're going to go back 35 years then you have to take things in context too, if you're going to analyze them right? and realize like, where okay, so where is this fear coming from? Are they just throwing everything in the kitchen sink in here? It's not like it's the evil dead that's in its own category where they're like, let's just go fucking haywire. Yeah. Like they're usually based on stuff going on at the times. And this one is very heavily influenced that way more so than some of the other bigger box office productions that were coming out. That were also more saccharine, you know, but like it, that we the 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 grittiness, the rawness of like the Nightmare in Elm Streets and stuff were kind of over at that point. Now everything was going to MTV, so they decided to do the family MTV horror movie, which is this, mm-hmm. and then they came out with part three. <laughs> oh my god, which is which,
1: a whole other we, you'll have us back and we'll talk about the third one because that <laughs> we, is the craziest.
2: We will not thing. discuss the third one. Because yeah. this is not about that. So, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. I think we've all given our final thoughts on this movie. Before we announce what we're covering next week, Roman and Tyler, we've already plugged your movie. But is there anything else you <laughs> want to plug that's not that movie?
1: Uh, I think we're both real excited about a new movie we're helping to bring to the world. It's called Death Drop Gorgeous. <laughs> it's a It's a slasher movie set in a drag club. And it's hilarious and stupid and disgustingly gay and you're gonna fucking love
4: it there's dicks and linnea <laughs> quigley <gasps> wow and pretty amazing shit yeah nice. it's coming out soon
1: and that i'm also helping to work on a documentary about an elderly gay couple in san francisco who met at harvey milk's birthday party Aww. and then created their own hardcore fetish porn company hey um called (laughs) raw uncut video about the making of palm drive video
3: oh so it's like based in reality it's it's a documentary it's real
1: um i'm not a vanilla person but there is some deeply disturbing and visceral content in this film with also a lot of heart and soul Mm -hmm. and it's it's a difficult watch but it's also a very important one
3: it sounds worthwhile do you have social media handles that you want people to follow you on?
1: Yes. You can follow Scream Queen Documentary at Scream Queen Doc on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on Instagram as Tyler Ray Jensen and The Tyler Jensen on Twitter, but I don't ever use it, so don't waste your time. What? What? <laughs> You can uh, see my video work at TypicalFilms.com, and you can buy or rent Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, Google Play, YouTube, and Vimeo. Nice.
4: And go watch he it. He said it all. He said it all. And, it. and our soundtrack, too. And I'm all... Uh, just go to Scream Queen. You'll find okay. it. Wait. Who, who did y'all's music? What's his name? Alexander, Alexander Taylor. He's great. And he's
1: fantastic.
4: Yeah, he's 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 brilliant and yes, I love Alex. He did such a fabulous job. And he's a super gloomy cutie, so look oh, him up too right. Y'all right. no, seriously
2: look him up. He's I mean Super
1: gloomy cutie, I like
2: that. Boner town city.
1: <laughs> I feel like that would be my character name on Rainbow Bright.
4: Rainbow Bright? There. Rainbow Bright in Boner Town is that what I just <laughs> yep, heard? That's it, <laughs> Trace. Okay, Trace. That's the <laughs> title of Trace's new can movie. Can we end with Rainbow Bright in Boner No, cuz we have to
2: do Our Housekeeping Assholes. So, Oh, do it. If you let to yeah. reach us Uh, You can visit our Horror Queers Facebook page or join our exclusive Horror Queers Facebook group. Tweet us at HorrorQueers or email us at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. If you have two seconds, head over to iTunes and leave us a rating or a review. Or you can head on over to TeePublic, that is T-E-E-Public.com, and buy Horror Queers merch like t-shirts, stickers, mugs, pillows, and other shit. If you want even more content, please visit our Patreon page at Patreon.com/HorrorQueers, where you can sign up for exclusive bonus episodes covering recent horror films like, well, um blank. Just say blank. <laughs> We're not really sure. Everything got canceled. Uh, so everything's who knows. canceled, so it's a surprise. But you know, go, go pay for it anyway because it's going to be good. What are we covering next week, Joe? All right, so we are wrapping up
3: the month of April with a anniversary film. And, Trace, we are not going to have half as good a time with this particular episode. (laughs)
2: It's so bad. We are
3: revisiting a film close to no one's heart. It is A Nightmare on Elm Street, the motherfucking remake from 2010. (laughs) Ten-year anniversary, y'all. Good luck. Wish, wish <sighs> us luck, is what we're saying. And come back because we're going to make this mother funny somehow.
1: Was that Kellen Lutz's last movie?
2: You're forgetting Thomas Decker, who is the most boner-rific guy ever. And super gay.
1: No, Thomas Decker still works. He's doing yeah, good. Yeah. I'm like, I, Kellen I, I'm Lutz, aware. Anyway. I'm, he I'm, was I'm in aware. Anyway. I, Popular because of Twilight, and then why?
4: Am I the only one that is madly in love with Kyle Gallner from there? Uh, oh, he's no, really good. No, Kyle... I, just, uh, oh. I loved it.
1: I always think of the line from Jennifer's Body where she's like, "My dick's bigger than his." <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway, and we're done. Thank y'all for having the super size episode with us. Um, and I'm gonna cut it short and say cross out Poltergeist to the other side. Yes, and <laughs> cross out Needy. <laughs> yeah, cross out these fuckers and cross out horror queens.
0: Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy, disturbing and terrifying creepypastas, SCP Archives, weekly cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGbtq perspective, and The Boo Crew, For horror-centric interviews, listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.